and talking to our friends. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Aubrey Loveless. And I'm Danielle Renee. Those damn guys over at Mignolaverse.com have been knocking it out of the park with their coverage of Hellboy Day. With their countdown and all their reviews, be sure to check them out. And if you'd like to write for them, be sure to hit them up. They're looking for writers. Did you check out that countdown, Aubrey? I did. Uh, I didn't read all the articles because uh, I, I don't know how spoilery they are. Yeah. Right. So, but... I think I liked as many things on Instagram as I could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I thought was really cool is, you know, I think Young Hellboy and Hellboy were the top two, but then I think three was Daimyo. Yeah. On their countdown, oh, right. they yeah. also yeah. had some interesting choices. I thought it was funny. The Conqueror Worm was like one of the top five or one of the top six <laughs> or something like that. They had Ted Howard's on there, who mm. I'm a big fan of. So those were great articles. Thanks, everyone who's been leaving us reviews. Please send us reviews on iTunes. Give us five stars. That really helps us with all the algorithms of getting our podcast noticed or whatever. So if you give us a review or you rate us really well, then. You know, when people are looking for comic book podcasts, they'll find us on there, too. And they'll be part of the the book club team. They're they're in the club. Yes. And, yeah. you know, we usually get a nice spike in downloads like every Tuesday when we have a new episode. But on Saturday, on Hellboy Day, we got like a huge spike of fun. downloads. Oh, nice. So I thought maybe we might have some new listeners. Joining so the, joining the fun. Yeah. So yeah. maybe you can tell them a little bit about what the show's about. Well, you see, we're friends, and then we like to read Hellboy, and then we talk about it, and then we we tell you guys, hey, this is what we're going to read next, and then we're going to talk about it, and then you talk about it, because you send us, hey, damn guys, and then you're in the book club, and it's reading Hellboy comics and talking to your friends. Back to you, John. <laughs> That's right, and we also really want to hear your voice. Send us a voice intro on our episodes. That's where you say, hey, everybody, it's the Hellboy book club. There you go. <laughs> I just want to say uh, welcome to all new listeners and yeah. welcome back to all old listeners. Yes, thanks a lot. And also thanks again to Mignolaverse.com. We were able to collaborate with them to give away a Hellboy Library Edition Volume 5, which contains Darkness Calls in the Wild Hunt. And we're actually going to do our giveaway right now. So Let's do it. Danielle's got the hat. I've got the hat full of names. It's got the hat full of names. Shake and you're going to pull, a, pull a name live on the air here. There I go. What, here. no drum roll? Uh. <laughs> All right, let's see here. Open it up. She's opening the name. Sean Risley, Risley. Sean Risley. Sean Risley. All right, congratulations, Sean. We'll be uh, getting your information so we can send you that awesome book. Thanks for participating. Awesome. How about that? And and thank you for everybody who uh, entered. Oh, yeah, for sure. Thank you, everybody who entered that. And now we're going to go on to our listener feedback. Hey, you damn guys. Paul from Gardaharn said, Hey, you damn guys. I thought you might like to know some of the British landmarks being destroyed in the storm and the fury. Yes, they I got that wrong, I'm sure. Yeah, they rain. Well, I only knew two of right. them. The um, most obvious ones. The most obvious ones. And he says, They range from Scotland, the north, and south of England and London. They include the Angel of the North, 
Salisbury Cathedral, Edinburgh Castle, Nelson's Column, Tower Bridge, and Westminster Palace and awesome. Big Ben, cool. where the UK Houses of Parliament are situated. The implication is that the storm is ravaging the entire length and breadth of Britain, a bit like Brexit. <laughs> oh, Happy man. Hellboy Day. And he also says, I picked up some Hellboy Day goodies today. I got an extra poster if any of you would like it. If not, I'd like to offer it out to the Mignola Art Group. Yeah, so go ahead and offer it to them. Aubrey and I, shout out to Bedrock City Comics here in Houston. They had our promotional Hellboy goodies, so we were able to get those. Yes, thank you, Bedrock City on Washington. Yeah, And also they have, uh, what are the other, they have a couple other locations too. Yeah. Specifically the one on Washington for sure. And that's that's where a lot of our pals work. And then we've got one on, there's one on Westheimer. Yeah. If you want to go there. That's the one. the main one there's one in clear lake yeah, yeah, yeah. they're yeah. all over houston yeah. yeah even if you're a visitor to houston you're always welcome at the bedrock it's it's good it's yeah. it's well lit organized everyone there is super friendly and helpful and it's just super good shout and, out to the local comic book yeah. store and they also go to all the uh conventions so you'll find them there too oh, yeah, yeah. they're great stuff. guys but uh i remember one time i went in at this was also the washington location i went in there richard was in there and uh he owns the the, the whole thing anyway he was stacking up these comics that had just come in from like a collection, you know, and that's oh, always right, exciting. Yeah. Like, oh, is it a good collection? What's in there? And he's like, yeah, we've got some good stuff. He was listing all these amazing, incredible books. And he was like, I got to show you something now. I got to show you the thing. We, we took care of this one first. <laughs> he goes in the back. He comes right back. It's an X-Men number one. Wow. I had never seen like, it what? in real life. Yeah. I had never seen <laughs> it. And, but I recognized it immediately because the cover is so iconic. He was like, you want to hold it? I was like, yeah, I want to hold it. I want to touch it. Like it was, you know, because they already had it all graded and it was in the plastic. So he didn't mind giving it to me. It was hard plastic. Oh, okay. So it was. A no, yeah. Topic. I wasn't yeah. about to touch something with, you know, I'm sure they handled it with gloves or something. But right. I was like, oh, you could like feel the power. <laughs> like it was Excalibur or something. Oh man, I saw I saw an expo number one, but it was behind a counter and they would not let me touch it. <laughs> I think he was just in a particularly getting mood that day because of this. They're sorting through this oh, yeah. enormous collection yeah. of near-mint comics. It was wow. incredible. Anyway. We also got a Hey You Damn Guys from Matt Strackbine. Matt Strackbine. He said, I, appreci- he said I appreciate your discussion about the Hellboy movies in regards to using more BPRD characters. Mm. I actually wish more filmmakers would do a television series instead of movies. Thank because you. there's often more space to work with. Yes. Imagine BPRD as an HBO series. Oh, it would be so good. There would be no yeah. good reason to leave any character out. Not only that, but they could basically just adapt the story arcs from the comics into individual seasons. Ugh, it would be so good. You could even <clears throat> do like little flashbacks to whatever we're about to read something right, today right yeah. sir edward gray the yeah. guy could do little flashback episodes and stuff that'd be so good yeah he says i suppose some things would be left open to interpretation if they didn't include hellboy but could you imagine landis pope showing up in a premiere episode knowing what he's going to become by the end of that season <laughs> or flashbacks explaining who the lobster was before his ghost appears i think mm. it'd be a hit well that's the thing that you could save hellboy for like the okay right. it's the season finale yeah. it's a special episode it's a it's longer than the other episode oh the very end of the episode it's just like one shot of hellboy You're like right. oh next season no shit like yeah and if in anything that has to do with like an ensemble cast you know what i mean those stories are always so good i always envisioned the bprd we've talked about this as like 
X-Files mixed with like Buffy mixed with like whatever. They could Game of Thrones it up if they wanted an R rating or some shit. <laughs> yeah. But like, it'd be so good. Yeah, it really would. And he says, just look at shows like Legion, Daredevil, or Game of Thrones. There's no limit to what they could do. Every time I hear about a new series coming up, I think to myself, why isn't this the BPRD? Yeah. It has everything you'd want. Drama, science fiction, the paranormal, genuine characters, monsters, action, politics. What's not to like? I guess movies are where they get the big audience from. But I really do... Uh- agree like i wish they would just do uh, some tv even like x-men like i think x-men like would uh, X-Men be better would be, done as X-Men a would be so good on well they're trying to do that movie. right now they're trying to do all these knockoff x-men right. shows that are not really the x-men i don't know the gifted is pretty good that's what, I, no, that's what i'm saying though yeah. is it's not actually the x-men yeah, right why don't you just um, fucking do the x-men <laughs> anyway well hopefully that the uh hellboy movie will do um phenomenal and it'll bring interest to do the BPRD and maybe they'll do the BPRD as a TV show and do an actual real shared universe between TV and movie. That would be so awesome. Yeah, they could do what they could do what Marvel is too scared to fucking do. Right, right? that's exactly what I was trying to say. That would be so great. Ensemble story uh, you have, I mean like you said, like Matt Strackbond just said, everything's in place for something really good. Although I will have to make a case for actually wanting to see some of the BPRD in the theater because remember we went and saw that one movie and they had the trailer for the Godzilla movie uh, on the IMAX and they had that big ass monster on there and I just kind of leaned over to you, imagine if that was the Audrey him yeah. or, or Sadu him. Some things start as movies and end up as series, some things start as series right. and end up as movies. I mean, who's to say whether or not those transitions are good? But I think that this show would be a total Right. I think hit. that they could do yeah. it. I, and win. I think no one's, just like you said, Nobody's ever really done that. I think they really could. Like, they really could. You know, they could build up the Black Flame storyline and then the very end of it yeah. where the giant thing comes out and Liz and all that stuff. That could be the movie. I think what it comes down to, you like know? you were saying, it, is, it ends up being about money. And right. so like Game of yeah. Thrones, for ex- just for example, because that's, that's the biggest example I can think of of just like blockbuster budget for... Right. It's a show. It's a serial show. But it they, they treat it like it's a movie. Yeah. Every episode is like a little movie that ends up telling one big giant story you know it's yeah that's something that i don't think had ever really been done on quite that scale before it had obviously been done before but not on that scale and so if you want something that is that quality you would have to get some really smart people like directing it and being in charge of you know all that shit so i think that's the next stage of the podcast you guys let's just make a tv let's just do (laughs) it ourselves let's do it no fuck no but yeah no big cardboard outfit or something (laughs) oh we should totally do that Uh. (laughs) although if you've seen what some of these cosplayers can do it's pretty impressive some of these people oh yeah albert from the interactive artistry podcast said cheers for the lovely shout out on the latest episode my friend i'm super humbled and honored you tuned in following my email however how dare you say you are just three dumb texans you take that back you don't speak to literally my favorite podcast that way oh thanks so thanks a lot for that and make sure to check out interactive artistry podcast uh, video game podcast and some feedback on the storm and the fury when i posted the teaser of the episode joshua worley said you were missed hope everything went well in the move and i'm so glad you're back nathaniel green said so excited the brief and totally understandable hiatus has helped ramp up the tension plus it's content lining up with the movie kind of has really amped up the intensity of this podcast you couldn't have arrived to this point in a better way i didn't think about that but yeah if we hadn't taken a week off then for hellboy day we would have been covering this story. Uh-huh. But nice. last week we were covering it. Yeah, so it was nice, so. yeah. 
He says, another spectacular showing from my three favorite Texans. Cheers. I'm so excited to sit down and listen to this properly. Whenever you guys get to an actual Hellboy title, I get out my library edition and headphones. Cheers. Oh, nice. Yeah, and that really is the best way to read it if you have the library edition. It's really amazing. Sarah Cole said, do you think Hellboy being tied with our lovely triple goddess Hecate must die three times? Since you guys pointed out that he does in the island, I will admit I was numb to it, just glossed right by the fact and here especially in the fury having only read up to this and in hell it feels like in death hellboy learns more about himself and the world which he was born into having him die twice but linked to hecate feels off like which death in london is one thing but third time the charm for ragnarok i don't know yeah that was a very interesting comment yeah, yeah that's uh that made me think of a lot i didn't have any answers but <laughs> yeah that was a good one yeah, yeah and stuff is tying up right now in the bprd series there's a lot of you know don't really don't read any of the stuff that's coming <laughs> out the next issue is going to be the last issue okay. so you're, there's going to be a lot of stuff on the internet so watch out for that stuff and i just want to say like one of the things i forgot to talk about and that I don't talk about enough is like how awesome the listeners are with the no spoilers. Oh, yeah. Super good. And the yeah, listener that, feedback the because that's not something that I take for granted. You know, last week on our discussion of the Storm and the Fury, there were some things that I was thinking about in our discussion right. that are paying off in the current comic right, right now. And I'm sure it's and hard I, to not talk about and I that. Ju- and you and Aubrey were talking about something and I just let you all talk uh, and I didn't no. say anything. Oh, no. And in my head, I was just like, oh my God, this is making sense to me now. <laughs> and uh, and, I, and I'm sure that our listeners are going through the same thing. Sure. Those of them who are caught up. So I really appreciate that. I just want to make sure I say thanks for everybody not spoiling um yeah, a lot you never of the, know, like yeah. someone could be going on this journey for the first time yeah and they just now get to this point in the listening to this or reading their stuff and then you know they go and they want to read all these comments and lo and behold someone spoiled it but no one ever does that which is super cool yeah. so that's very nice yeah i like to say a big thank you for that one too because like I am the one going through this journey right, 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 right now. Yeah. And so you guys keeping the spoilers away, I, I appreciate that a lot. So thank you. We also had Jan Niklas. He said, yay, the good stuff is back. <laughs> and now he's dead. Damn it. <laughs> this could have been a good ending. Hellboy saves the world not as a pawn of anyone but himself. Just like you said, he was rejecting the good destiny of being king and choose to fight the dragon himself and got his ass handed to him. I like how consequential Mike stayed within the story. You need some extra power to battle the powers of the void. On the one hand, the book is showing us one of the few characters who really decides something. On the other hand, it reminds us how how small we are. Powerful stuff. Also funny, in The Wild Hunt, Hellboy had only a destiny to choose and no choice for a real life. But in this story, he's one of maybe two persons who can choose. That's why his relationship with Alice couldn't last. She was just too much into the old world and loved the idea of being one of the fairy folk. Alice the human stopped existing, I think. Only Alice the fae remains. One of my favorite panels has to be where Hellboy chooses the axe. This is such a small moment, but it is Hellboy choosing his weapon. He, not as a king of England, just as Hellboy. Like I said, a good ending, but even without knowing the Hellboy in Hell exists, there are too much plot threads to end the series here. What was it with the Osiris guys? Hecate is still around, isn't she? And didn't Scott Alley mention in an interview that the last story was called Hellboy at the End of Time? I don't remember reading about that. You know which moment breaks my heart every time, besides the ending, the little panel where we see Mab and the nameless gnome with the pipe dead. That little doinishi yeah. guy. 
I liked that little fella, and he got out firing his guns, makes it even more tragic. He was just a very minor side character, but I loved his sarcasm, and he had chosen to fight. Instead of giving in to Nimue, says so much about him. Poor little fella, I'll still miss you. Mm. As for the minor characters, how cool is Morgan Le Fay in this? She had her plan fulfilled, and when all is done, she just goes and takes the piggy with her. I had the impression she just wanted a last blaze of glory, but was big enough to accept her fate in the end. So screw the rules, screw Merlin. No one deserves to suffer for eternity. She and the piggy go away while the old fart will be imprisoned forever under his rock. (laughs) My interpretation is that this is part of the whole free will theme of this book. Sometimes you can just go away. So do they. It's death, but maybe that's the best you can hope for in this universe. (laughs) Also, Astaroth is the best Hellboy verse villain. Why? Because he goes the sly route and may be the only one that truly succeeded on his own without the help of the Agra Jihad or anyone else. He's one smooth-talking SOB and his method is still very interesting. Hecate wants to pressure Hellboy. Astaroth is still just suggesting. Best villain. But him getting whacked by his own staff is one of the best scenes in the book. (laughs) We all thought it, and Hellboy delivered. Thanks, <laughs> HB. See you in hell. Good stuff. That was, that uh, was good. Super insightful. Yeah. Really yeah. liked everything you had to say on that whole that whole entire comment. Those were those were some really good thoughts, and I, I appreciated the part about um, Morgan Le Fay and Grogok. I, yeah. I really liked what you had to say about Alice. That yeah. gave me some good insight into Alice I'd never really thought about before. That was some some good stuff. Very insightful. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Jen Niklas always has really good comments. Oh, yeah. And Jason Abaddon said, so we finally, finally get a brief conversation between Hellboy and the Audra Jihad. The dragon communicates after using Nimue as its host. So Hellboy using the right hand of doom against the dragon is literally the Agdra Jihad fighting the hand that gave it life. Talk about your epic confrontation. Crazy that Roger is in there. What role can our friend have at this point? You know, I'm kind of surprised we didn't at least get a cameo by Hecate. Was the old talking garbage can afraid to show up with the Jihad there? (laughs) I really like Danielle's idea that Liz had a bug out bag when we talked about BPRD monsters. And I'd love to read a story where some senior agent explains how to do that. The unstated reason being that Liz might lose control over her powers again and need to lie low. On the other hand, Liz had quit the Bureau several times and would have money saved considering the Bureau provides room and board. Yeah. Yeah. So she she talked about yeah. how she quit a bunch of times. So she would probably have. She knows the whole. Yeah. It's a routine. Yeah. It's a good point. As to why they brought Alice in the story, I always thought she and the thought of a normal life represented temptation in an Arthurian way. In those stories, there's often a temptation to leave the quest and not accomplish whatever the great thing destiny had in store. For Hellboy, his whole life is about denying one big destiny after another. It's like his whole life is plotted out for him and he keeps tossing out the script. Yeah, so I thought that was an interesting interpretation of that because, you know, he could have just decided to stay with her or i think it's also a little bit maybe of and maybe this is just my interpretation of like when you're saying oh he cho- he got to choose the axe over the sword he got to do this and that like i think maybe he understands on some level however subconsciously that all this stuff is going to happen anyway right. so it's it's not really about like what ends up happening in the end. it's more about like how you go right how you how you choose to take the journey, your own personal decisions along the way. Like he could just, it's not really as simple as, Oh, if I play my part, then this, that, and the other, it's more like, look, I'll do whatever I want to do. And in the end, it's going to happen anyway. So I might as well just be myself this whole time. And and that's kind of like, you know, none of us are getting out of this alive. So like it, what, what, what we choose to do 
is is so important just because of that. It's not less important. It's not that nothing matters. It's that well, all of a sudden everything matters. Yeah. It's like that's that's the legacy that you've left. That's that's the the way that you've lived. Like it doesn't matter if you win or lose. It's how you play the game, right. kind of a thing. Yeah, which I really appreciate. Yeah, um, I think that's yeah. a good motif. Comic book explorer said, "I love Duncan Fergredo's Hellboy art." Captures the fantasy of Hellboy. So glad to hear he and Mike are teaming up again for another story. Yeah, and I was listening back to the episode when I was editing it, and I just kept saying, this is so awesome, this is so cool, this is so awesome, and it's like, oh, I need some more descriptors in here, because his artwork is so amazing. It's fantastic. Yeah. I'm going to have to say that I think that uh, other than than, uh, Mignola, I think Fogredo is my favorite. Oh, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, he's great. Mark Tweedell said, okay, I got to talk about Andrew Devon. Not defending him, but his change didn't come from nowhere. His first major mission as a BPRD agent was when Daimyo went on his rampage in the Bureau headquarters. That incident shaped his character in major ways. Mm. So I get how that messed up his sense of trust. Then when the Abe thing happens in King of Fear, Abe and Kate don't investigate the claims. As Andrew points out, Captain Daimyo didn't want to be a monster and go on a killing spree, but it still happened. Abe and Kate's reaction to this news comes from being friends for a long time, and they respond on an emotional level first. They don't even entertain the idea that there could be something to what the Black Flame said. At this point, Abe doesn't know what he is. Regardless of how he feels, everything that the Black Flame says could easily be true. Who he is as a person doesn't change that, and his refusal to acknowledge that is what gets Devon's hackles up. It's Daimyo all over again. Yeah, Devon's acting like a total dick right now. But he does have a point, even if his way of expressing it is extremely passive-aggressive. I think it's his way of masking very genuine fear that he doesn't know how to deal with. Yeah, fear fear is the overriding. I mean, it's called king of fear, so it's like, you know, fear makes you do weird stuff, right. makes you do funny stuff. And Ross Radke also commented, he said, Also, considering Abe can't really remember being a weird guy named Langdon, it's not unreasonable to suppose that someday an evil fish deity might not remember being a guy called Abe. Hmm. true yeah Th- those are some very good points and um are we sure they haven't explored them i mean they may have happened off panel or something like that but even if they had had or hadn't the way Devin goes about it is just right. completely wrong but i mean yeah i mean daimyo didn't really want to be the wear jaguar right but we all know what happened there yeah that is but, a good point but then again you know uh, Hellboy keeps popping horns out and becoming the the beast of the apocalypse, right. but right. he just breaks those horns off and just says, "Nope, not going to be me." Right. So yeah, I mean, it could go either way. I hate to keep coming back to it, but when you when you're acting out of fear, it, yeah. all these things come out and come to light, and it's very like you know, yeah, yeah. People people do funny things. Yeah. Mark Tweedo also said on the topic of the Into the Silent Sea panel. That's a panel where Mike Mignola dropped deliberately because he had a specific story for Gary Gianni. It was a we'll get to this someday moment. And Ross Radke said, Mignola's a genius when it comes to seeding these stories with bits that could be expanded on later or just left alone. The aliens and the guys watching from the fairy world come to mind as other examples. Yeah, because when we first saw those, we didn't really know what they were. And then they kind of tied back around. Yeah. And Mark Tweedo also had a really good comment on on the Adam and Eve. He said, The story of Adam and Eve is a distorted surviving version of King Thoth and Hecate. In his secret garden, he kept three Watchers, the source of his secret knowledge. The garden becomes Eden, and the Watchers become fruit, which makes sense since Hecate eats them. Hecate is both Eve and the serpent, and King Thoth is both Adam and God. It's just a story that's been twisted by time. 
I like it when Mignola does stuff like this. He can present any mythology he likes and say, it's both true and not true. Yeah, so that really blew my mind that, thinking that's about amazing. that. I was like, I like oh my that god, one. that is a total different way of thinking about it. But you yeah. know, she did get all the knowledge from eating all those watchers, and then she gave it to everybody else. You know what I mean? And then yeah. that corrupted Hyperborea and all that kind of stuff. So I really oh. like thinking about that. That's a, that's a really good one. I like it. <laughs> And um, he also gave me a minor correction. He said before the Fury number three came out, it wasn't promoted as the death of Hellboy. We learned of his death on the page. Got to respect Dark Horse for playing it that way. And so we were talking about it and I was like, but I remember like when I picked up the issue, I already knew what it was. And he said, well, within 12 hours, it was all over. So you had probably uh, been spoiled And so, yeah, like I and I was telling him, I don't think I read it that day. Like, I think it was in my box, and then I probably picked up my box that weekend, and so it had been out for a couple of days, and that's you probably... You just figured that was part of the PR, right, all the spoilers yeah, yeah, that but were it, going on. But it was just probably... I probably saw it on a comic book sure. website, and he also said, like, they had this Dark Horse event where they had a cake shaped like the tomb of Hellboy, oh, God. like the gravestone, oh, and nice. he said that once the media got a hold of that, they went oh, crazy with it, and so, man. you know, they, so while it wasn't advertised as it, by the time I picked up the being, issue, yeah. by the time I picked up the issue, yeah. yeah. So that sucks. Anyway, he said, "By the way, it's great to have the Hellboy Book Club crew back this week. It felt strange and unnatural without it." <laughs> Thank you for that, Matthew Boyne said. I know I always bang that biblical similarity drum, but this is really interesting. I think look at how similar the scene is from the descent of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. The fire in the painting personifies the spirit of the Lord coming down on Mary and the apostles. And he posted this picture and they all have little flames over their heads. Mm. As the Lord's coming down, they have flames over their heads. And so... Um, mm. He was saying, likewise, the spirit of the Ogre Jihad looks very similar as a flame above the head. They have those green flames. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so I really like that parallel. Mm. Even Nimue is elevated above the men, just as Mary is elevated above the apostles in the painting. So when you see that picture of uh, Hecate and all the people that were touched by the dragon. Yeah, I really like oh. that similarity. Drew Campbell said, that Andrea Blasta sculpture is fantastic, but a polite correction I assume the name threw you off. Andrea Blasich is a man born in Italy. Check out his website. He's got a lot of great sculptures. Yeah, and so... Uh, so that would be like Andre? I guess. Andrea? Andrea? I don't know. I mean, it's an Italian name, so I don't know how they pronounce it there, but um, I forgot to post a picture of that statue anyway, so I'll probably do that later on today. <laughs> Um, Jerry Turnbull also pointed out the Angel of the North and Edinburgh Castle in the Fury getting destroyed. Kevin Alford said, my one regret was having bonitis. Ah. That was your your bonitis Futurama reference that you had last episode. When I posted about the salt and sea creature, James Iowa Bangla said, was a busy day for the BPRD and such a pivotal moment for Hellboy. Love this. Colin DeGraff said, Lighthouse remains the best Ogdruhem of all. Iconic design. That's that salt and sea yeah. one they call it the lighthouse. Super yeah. good. I like it a lot. When I posted about Baba Yaga finally getting her debt paid, James Banglo said, Odin traded his eye for knowledge. Hellboy traded his to buy time for humanity. Yeah. So I thought that was yeah. really good. And when I posted my collection this weekend, um, I got a lot of really good comments and a, a lot of um, likes and all that stuff for the collection. I posted all that stuff for Hellboy Day. Todd Biala said, do you think you guys will cover the Savage Dragon and Goon and other non-Mignolaverse stuff? Yeah, I think eventually we'll do a crossover episode where we'll have like maybe some, um, we'll look at some of those. I really would like you all to see the Beast of Burden one 
and some of the other crossovers. So, yeah, we'll eventually get to stuff like that. Yeah, crossover stuff is fun, you know. I mean, if it's done well. Yeah. Some things I forgot to talk about. Hellboy's Fury. So this is one thread that I kind of meant to pick up when he kind of goes crazy and kills all the giants and it's all red. Yeah. Okay, so it made me think of this looking at the Seed of Destruction number one, which was released for Hellboy Day. So after he finds Broom dead... He beats up that frog monster yeah. and he's like, mm-hmm. and I land and I land mad and it's all red behind him. Right. And so when we read that the first time I was like, oh, I wonder if that's like his fury, whatever, uh, because like yeah, he yeah, has yeah. that he goes into these fits or whatever. But anyway, I was thinking about that. And then, you know, the episode last week with the storm and the fury was so long. We were really we were really it was our longest episode yet. So yeah. Didn't really get to talk about all the things that I wanted to. There were a couple things that I wanted to point out from the sketchbook. Yeah, uh, regarding the Storm and the Fury. So we had that little hedgehog guy that turned into this um, big monster that fought Hellboy in the street. And there's some great sketches of it in the library edition. Duncan Fregredo says, The final form of the transformed hedgehog. The sketches from Mike led to the inclusion of the Celtic influence armor over that leather plate mail vest. And yes, as indicated by the smaller sketch, he did indeed go commando under that leather-studded apron. Nice. Wow. (laughs) Might as well. I mean, he is a hedgehog. Because you can see his butt, and it says, yes, bare ass. (laughs) 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 I thought that was great. Um, We were talking about that Adam and Eve painting that was inside the tower where Hellboy and Nimue were fighting. And there's actually the sketches for it in here. Cool. You know, so Duncan Fregredo was saying on Twitter that Mignola had provided some little sketches, and it says here, Mignola says, sometimes it's just so much easier to draw some kind of diagram rather than try to explain what I'm looking for. In this case, I also gave Duncan reference of some old painting of Adam and Eve and the serpent to use behind the altar. Cool. Yeah, so you can see some great sketches of that. There's also some great sketches that Mignola did of the dragon that Nimue turns into. Mignola says, I love drawing things transforming. It's just fun to work out all the in-between stages. So really, I did the dragon design because I didn't want Duncan to have all the fun. (laughs) I did want the dragon's final form to be more of a less traditional design because the final battle was meant to be very iconic, like Thor and the Midgard Serpent. The middle stage of the dragon owes a lot to Jack Kirby's Fin Fang Foom because you just can't beat those old Kirby monsters. It does kind of have a fing fang foo yeah. look to it. And then the last thing was um, where you get the sketches, Mignola's sketches of that panel where Nimue is getting pulled down by all the 500 yeah, witches. so good. Mm-hmm. It's such a good panel. Yeah, Mignola writes, In Duncan's very first issue of Hellboy Darkness Calls Number 1, Hellboy's given a World War II gun belt and holster. I thought it would be cute if in Duncan's last issue, when Hellboy's destroyed and sent to hell... The only bit left behind would be that gun belt. It sort of marks Duncan's run on the books, and to be perfectly honest, I didn't want to draw that thing. <laughs> I only drew it a couple of times on covers and always found it to be a real pain. Sorry, Duncan, but you always made it look great. <laughs> nice. Yeah, so um, that's what's left in that panel when Hellboy collapses. I like the uh, the thumbnail he did of yeah. how the, the page is supposed to be laid out. It's really cool. Ooh, something I wanted to mention from last week that I noticed. Uh, you know how like uh, Nimue had the helmet that turned into the three birds? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so when the, she had the helmet, it had that, that piece going through her nose, kind of right. like, uh, you know, the whatever century. The nose guard. Yeah. When the one bird turned into a sword, the hilt part 
had uh, the same shape. Had the same oh, design wow. on it. That's sure. great. So yeah. maybe that's the bird that was in the front of the helmet. It's the bird's yeah. style. Nice. So I, I meant to bring. I, I saw it in, when we were recording last week, and I meant to bring it up, but we just right. so, so much to about talk reading about. The story, yeah. yeah. And then another thing that I forgot to talk about was Macoma. So remember when we read Macoma, and then in that one, Hellboy and the Dragon fight, and then at the end they both fall together. Yeah. And he turns oh, right. back right. into a man. And the dragon, and so that's kind of when I first read the Storm and the Fury. That's what I was thinking about. I was like, "Oh, we're getting Macoma. This is like, oh. you know, uh, it's tying up that whatever that story." Jeez, tying up the loose ends there. Yeah. So uh, the last thing I want to talk about really quick is the temper tantrum that I had on Twitter last week. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I just uh, it was bound to happen. It's inevitable. Uh, I was, uh, you know, I I just want to talk about this because I was. You know, we had recorded the episode. I was feeling really great about myself and about everything. And then, uh, stupidly, I got on the internet to start no, looking at stuff. Never do that. And I saw like a TV spot for the new Hellboy movie. And I said, Oh, this is cool. This is what I want to see. And I started looking at it. And I was like, Wow, that's awesome. Let me go down into the comments and see nope. what they had to say. No. And it was just the, it was just horrible. It was just like 95% of the comments were just hating on the movie. Trolls. And it made me so mad. And everything that everybody was saying was really like getting to me. And then this one guy goes, this one guy, I don't even remember the entire comment, but he said something like, this is nothing like the comic. No Liz, no Abe. And who's this random shapeshifter? Wow. And I was just like, and I was like, that's it. Having a normal one (laughs) online. And uh, so, uh, you know, I got online and I started saying stuff about, you know, how all these people who are quote unquote Hellboy fans are not really Hellboy fans. They're Ron Perlman fans. And that's fine. But I'm a Hellboy fan because I like the comics. And I started, you know, and a lot of people were like saying, yeah, thank you for saying that. And all this kind of stuff. The majority of people were saying that. It's weird because like you said, like. You know, being a fan of Ron Perlman is great. Oh, he's I, a I great actor. Oh, we love, love we all love, three of us. Like I love Ron Perlman in Chronos. Awesome. I yeah. love him in Blade Two. Super good. A- he's the best part of Alien Resurrection. There you go. Um, he's but also he's in, in a lot of stuff. Sons, Sons, Super Rim. Great. Yeah. Sons of Anarchy was yeah. really good. Yeah. But like you know, these are people who are diehard fanboys, and I use that phrase very specifically because being a fan and being a fanboy are two very different fucking things. Of the original Hellboy movies. Which is so weird because yeah. he's talking about this is nothing like the comics, but like it kind of is a little bit more right. so. So f- just from what I've seen, which I haven't sure. seen, it, it hasn't been a lot. Yeah, I will admit that, but it's just kind of like, and also, who gives a fuck? It's yeah. a it's a fucking movie. If you want to read the comics, go read them. They're still there. You yeah, can read them. Like yeah. well, nobody you can still is, go watch those old movies too. You can still go watch no the one Ron is Perlman movies. Burning every single copy of hellboy and like removing all digital copies of hellboy like you can still fucking read it yeah and if you are such a big fan of ron perlman you can go watch some ron perlman stuff i don't understand like i anyway and you know i i felt kind of bad it was kind of like one of those sorry not sorry things like that's how i felt <laughs> yeah. but i yeah. also felt bad of using the podcast platform to get well, online I know, and bitch about something but that, i couldn't I mean, give a shit I but really that's what could the internet is for yeah. for everyone to get on and bitch about something so <laughs> i was doing my part to make it a more hateful place and then like later i was just kind of like you know i was reading some of the comments and like i said the majority of the comments were supportive of what i was saying and people were like, right on. But there were a small few comments that were a somewhat critical or they kind of maybe showed me how I could have said it that in a better way. <laughs> and so those are the ones I want to focus All on. Right. One of the comments said, weak. 
All right. Oh, okay. <laughs> one of one of one of the other comments said, "I honestly don't care if people like the movies more than the books. It doesn't affect me in any way. If someone enjoys it, they enjoy it. This weird elitist mentality is what kills stuff. I happen to enjoy the books and the movies. If someone disagrees, it's cool. But when people start bashing people for it, then it becomes pretty shitty. And I wasn't trying to bash people for it and be like." I'm an elitist because I read the comics right. and you've just seen the movie and that means you don't like Hellboy. Like, that's not what I was no, trying to say. No, these people are calling yeah. themselves out. You it's just like, uh, and, and I tried to clarify that. I was just trying to say like, look, I, I like Ron Perlman, but I, it's not going to be the deciding factor in me going to see yeah. this movie. Yeah. I'm going to go see this it? movie because I want to see Hellboy. Ron Perlman didn't create Hellboy. <laughs> and I'm sorry, the guy's almost 70 years old. I mean, I'm sorry, but he's he's almost 70 years old. Let's just move on. It's you an know what movie, I mean? Yeah. Some, uh, another comment said, the movie with Ron Perlman actually got me into reading Mike Mignola's Hellboy. I'm a fan of Guillermo del Toro's work too. So I guess it don't mean a thing if it ain't got that swing. What does that mean? Does that mean the movie, the new movie doesn't look like it has that so, swing? So let me get this straight. Don't you know. don't watch any movie that Guillermo del Toro is, isn't involved. So if, if Guillermo del Toro isn't involved, you don't watch that movie. You have seen a very, very, very small percentage of movies. You have seen like 12 movies, I guess. I don't, is that what he's I saying? Didn't, I didn't really I don't, understand I don't, that comment. I don't think, I, I kind of took it like, you know, that oh I think God. he's just kind of saying like, you know, like none of that really matters. It's just like. I think he's uh, saying only, the only movies that have that no, swing I are the, Guillermo del Toro. No, no, I think, I'm taking it the other way. Oh, like, okay. The, it's the you know, opposite. You know, like, like the arguments don't matter. You know, it's just the movie's got to right. be good. Oh, if sure. the movie's Well, yeah. I definitely agree with that. I just yeah. didn't yeah. understand. I guess I didn't understand that comment. I guess I don't see how the movie could be that bad at this point. Like, it couldn't be so bad that people are like, all right, wow, that was trash. And like, if the- Seth Rogen were Hellboy, I guess I would be like, okay, wait, 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 wait. What's happening? Right. But, you know, it's, I don't think David Harbour is like, gonna be doing the character a oh, disservice yeah. and, or something. In, in one know? of these, in one of these Facebook threads where everybody was hating on it, there were a couple people, like there was one guy going, yeah, because James Bond and Batman have been the same actor forever, yeah. you know? And yeah. then there was another guy on there going, <laughs> it was really cute, I don't know, there's this one guy, he was going... Hey, everybody, you know that it's the guy Hopper from Stranger Things, right? Like, he was kind of saying, like, hey, we all love this guy. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Like, give him a chance. He's going to be good. And that's kind of a paranormal, occult, weird, yeah. like, you know, it's kind yeah. of a Hellboyish thing. he was like, thing. hey, I don't know if y'all realize it, but it's th- this guy who the internet likes, so why are you hating on this? It's very strange. <laughs> and then, But I really want to focus on these last three comments. These last three comments were really good. James Banglow said, true, some of them don't even know what the story really is in the comics. They keep on complaining about the character design and all sorts just watching the trailer. My advice, ignore the comments and just watch the movie ten times. Ha ha ha. Uh-huh. And I was like, that, I, I really needed to take that. To, I needed to read sure, that comment. Yeah. And then, uh, you're, What you're saying is you think you were being too online. I think I was being too well. online. Pam Robbins 3 on Twitter said, hates like a cancer. So is negative comments. Both spread very quickly that all good cells have an uphill battle to defeat. But we have to keep strong. Forget dismal reports. They're just feeding the cancer. True Hellboy fans, action movie fans will rise above. I think this installment will exceed everything the first two movies couldn't deliver. And a true Hellboy fan will want to see it. I hope there are true Hellboy fans out there. David Harbour is a great choice as Hellboy, so give him a chance. 
And at Jarlax1E on Twitter said, I will always be grateful to Guillermo del Toro and Ron Perlman for their Hellboy movie and for introducing me to the character and the world that Mignola created. But as already stated, it in no way affects my interest in seeing what David Harbour is bringing to cinema. And why should it? Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I apologize for that if it was a little too much, but... You know, I just uh, I just need to ignore those. I read it as humorous because you included yeah. that that. <laughs> I was trying to be that, a little that picture of uh, Nimue with her, you know, the facial the, expression. Where she, was we very... talked about how she, yeah. Yeah. I took she it as a humorous and... thing. Yeah, it was, it was... that's how I felt sure. reading those comments. But I think what we have here is, and this is just the oddest thing because the movie's not even fucking out right. yet. No one's even goddamn seen it. So like everyone's talking about this. A whole fucking lot, and it's not even out yet, and it's kind of like, <laughs> it reminds me very much of the whole way too online Star Wars thing that's going on oh, with right. like, remake the Star Wars movie <laughs> without any women or black people in it. Be- well, and it's like, your guys are telling on yourselves, yeah. and that is really weird and also terrible right so yeah. stop telling on yourself just a just a random plug for the guys on twitter remake the last jedi remake where they're gonna <laughs> yeah, re- yeah, yeah. They're gonna, they're and gonna, it's gonna be basically the the yes, movie we have they're now, gonna right? remake the the, the remake, remake of it with the original <laughs> with the original, with the original movie so great. yes great two online that's the diagnosis so i don't know a lot of this like people like bitching about the new Hellboy and the new David Harbour and taking over and all that it reminds me a lot of when Heath Ledger took over the Joker, right? Yeah, because uh, oh Jack no, because Jack. No, I Nich- remember that. I remember that because Jack Nicholson did a great iconic performance, <laughs> and like I had a friend of mine that he at the time he was just like Jack Nicholson's the only Joker, only oh Joker. God. Uh, I don't know right. why I made him sound he like Nixon. So invested <laughs> into him, that was a good Nixon though. But then, uh, <laughs> but then once Heath Ledger came out, everybody's like. Heath Ledger's the only Joker. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, sure. I mean, so it's just like... Uh, you think we're going to have that? It's going to be a Heath Ledger thing? Yeah, maybe. I don't mm. know. I don't know. Well, it's uh, just a different... It's just a different... Yeah. Like, okay, let's say we got someone to do the exact Jack Nicholson Joker and put it in the Dark Knight universe. <laughs> oh, do you that think that would have fucking played? It would have been terrible. It would have been, been so the worst corny. movie ever. Yeah. Like, yeah. Or, or the best movie ever, depending on who you ask. I personally would love to see it, but... Oh, I would watch it as a, like a train wreck. It would be a very different fucking <laughs> yes. movie. It would be enjoyable for a different reason for me. Uh, I will uh, watch literally anything and enjoy yeah. it, though, because I don't... But fuck, so. I also appreciate the James Bond comment because yeah, that's, yeah. that series been going on for like a zillion years, right? And there's been a million people playing. Him. Yeah, and not that yeah. I like James Bond or watch. Oh yeah, the James I mean, Bond, but yeah. it's a good point. It's yeah. a good point. I always point thought, stands. I've always thought that that more superhero movies should actually take their cues from James Bond, mm-hmm. as yeah. each movie should be its own thing. When they recast the actor, don't make a big deal about right. it. Right? Don't just, restart it. Yeah, just just keep going. Yeah, we don't need the origin of fucking Superman anymore. <laughs> Spider Man. We don't need any more origins. <laughs> well, they skipped Spider Man's origin this time. Finally, or, I kind of like how they did it in Into the Spider Verse. How they just Spider Verse. Spoilers. Oh, okay. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, no, 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 we're sorry. Can't believe it's you nothing. haven't seen Spider-Verse yet. Though. Oh, so. you haven't seen it? Okay, yeah, no, it's nothing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Aubrey frantically dropped his headphones and plugged his ears so he didn't have to hear any spoilers. Oh, sorry, Alex. No, we will not spoil that for you, but why haven't you seen it yet? Okay. We won't spoil that for anyone. We should probably not include that in the podcast either, or maybe put a timestamp. Be like, yeah. hey, by the way, for some fucking reason, we well, talked we didn't about say Spider-Verse. Anything. Yeah. We didn't say anything, actually. Okay. Yeah. Moving on. Moving yeah. on. I haven't seen it because Chris, it came out around Christmas. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay. No and there worries. was just too much shit going on. Oh, right. Uh, so check out our our pal Ross Radke. He always contributes to our listener feedback. 
and Ross is doing his uh, 25 sketches of Hellboy at, for countdown from Hellboy Day until the new movie comes out. And the first one came out today, and it shows Hellboy appearing. Oh, man, we're and in there, this. And there are three characters in the background who look very familiar. Oh, this is so cute. John. I'm taking the picture. You're so cute. You're the photographer. <laughs> this is horrible, Obs. I like how I'm the clueless soldier. It's so awesome. I saw that this morning, and I was just like... Oh. oh my god, that is so cool! Yeah, so thank you so much, Ross, for those really little cute. Easter eggs putting us in there. That was yeah. That's... Make sure to check him out. What is his Twitter handle? That's on uh, Instagram. Oh, that's on Instagram. Yeah, on Instagram he's Ross Radke, and on Twitter, um, if you search for Ross Radke, you'll find him R A D K E. So Man, thank you so much. That really yeah. made my day. That's adorable. He I also love it. he also posted it to the um, Mike uh, Mike Minola's art Facebook. Yeah. Also, you are an amazing artist. Your art is fantastic. I love your style. Super good. And I also like how you posted the color and the black and white. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. You're an excellent colorist. Your line work is fantastic. You have a very unique style. I really dig it. Yeah. Thanks for putting us in there. Okay. So now we're going to get to our book club for the week. We're going to be talking about Sir Edward Gray, Witchfinder, Lost and Gone Forever. This is a five-issue miniseries published from February to June 2011. The first issue was published with two covers, one by Mike Mignola and an alternate by John Severin. We last saw John Severin's work on BPRD War of Frogs. He did the story with the soldiers who were trapped on the ship fighting the frog monsters. And Abe was communicating with them from the base while he was wearing his yellow sweater. (laughs) <laughs> Story by Mignola and Arcudi, pencils by John Severin, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. And we don't talk about editor Scott Alley enough. He's yeah. been editor since The Corpse until now. So he's edited pretty much everything we've read, except for Seed of Destruction, Wolves of St. August, and some of the early promotional stories. I think it's actually quite amazing that uh, he's Mignola's been able to keep like pretty much the same team intact. Yeah. For, right, like, the, yeah. Because, you know, like you said, Scott Alley came on towards the beginning. Dave Stewart came on towards the beginning. Clem Robbins came yeah. on towards the beginning. And just stayed there. And... Wow! Yeah, I mean, that, that's impressive. But Dave Stewart working on these books too, like this. Well, just... it's funny because I, because when I went back and reread the early stuff, he he didn't do the colors yeah. on Seed of Destruction, and it's right. kind of, I don't know. It's I'm not gonna say jarring. It's just different. It's different. It's, it is different. Yeah. You can sure. notice the difference for sure. And we talked about John Severin back on that the War of Frogs episode a little bit. He did a lot of the illustrations for Cracked magazine, which I was yeah. a big fan of back in the day. And he does these really cool western, right? So we open up in Utah, 1880. Well, I like how Mignola jumps in to do the covers, and then you open it up, and it's yeah, yeah. yeah we get some awesome Mignola covers. And uh, I want to talk about that a little bit more. You know, they're coming out with the Witchfinder omnibuses soon. I really hope that they put the full color covers in there. I mean, these are great, but they're kind of like this. Um, they're brown tinted or whatever. Well, I think that's kind like that a sepia, sepia tone. Yeah. Sepia. Yeah, there you go. Right on. Recognizing art style. Oh. Um, (laughs) and like you well like you said we open up it's a it's a western i like a a good western i think there's a thing at the at the end there's like some notes from john arcudi about how i wanted to do a western i didn't know what kind of what it's gonna be so and so this was a year since the events of in the service of angels which is the last witchfinder story that we read and severin does a really good job setting this scene 
The Dur- details are so good. Oh yeah. yeah. During this time, Utah was a territory that included all the present states of Nevada and Utah, as well as pieces of modern Wyoming and Colorado. And Ed Gray arrived stagecoach to the fictional town of Reedland. And he's all dapper, right? In this yeah. city where all these oh, people yeah. are like working class people and they look kind of like dirty and rugged. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, he's like stepping straight out of Victorian England right into uh, John Wayne Western. Right, exactly. (laughs) Well, and this is a mining town. So I think the people in this town are specifically to mine coal. That's why a lot of towns popped up. Yeah. um, In the what that originally just they were like these mining camps and they eventually turned into towns and stuff. Anyway, I'm not sure if they had coal mines in Utah. I think it was probably more like uh, precious minerals. Mm. Not that it really matters. Sorry. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And really nice line work and color, like we mentioned. This is a much different look than what we've seen for the series. Right. And I think it works really well with this Western story. Oh, yeah. I really love the cross hatching on it. It's really good. Yeah. And Gray, he gets out of the stagecoach and he makes his way to the hotel. And um, as he's walking, he hears something. Gray finds this old native woman and she's praying the Our Father prayer to a crucifix and she's in like this old dilapidated church, right? And she's startled when she notices Gray. Isn't it called the Lord's Prayer? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, um, I'm sorry, I heard you from the street, he says. And as he approaches her, he notices a spot on the floor. And when the dust is uncovered, it reveals this symbol. And it's kind of like drawn in a circle, right? Well, it's so, a bunch of sigils, yeah. Yeah, and so yeah. he notices that, and he's kind of looking at it, and the locals are also noticing him. Over at the Betts Hotel... I like this uh, the sign. The details, the yeah. attention to detail here is so good. Like, you know, people have been using the O in the sign for target practice. Right, yeah, you can see that. And there's like a drunk guy. And yeah, there is a lot of little... You Just can little, really look at details, all the different yeah. characters, yeah. I, I like the way the... Uh, the dog stance says he can definitely tell he's leaning in to sniff right, the drunk yeah. guy. <laughs> Gray is at the hotel bar and it's pretty packed with locals. Gray orders water and asks where the sheriff is. Well, and I just very briefly, he what he says is he goes, uh, the bartender's what suits you, friend? And he goes, well, I've just checked in. I imagine tea would be out of the question. <laughs> but why, And so I was thinking about it and I was like, 1880, Utah. I don't really know anything about okay. this. So I'm kind of... I'm trying to Google what I can about the state of tea in, in, Interesting. in the United States at that time. And so, like, this is set in Utah, like we said, in 1880. And at that time, there was an influx of uh, of uh, commercial trade, Chinese commercial trade, okay. trade with China, and, and, of course, immigration. And we know that there was a lot of horrible stuff going on, racist, anti-Chinese attitudes towards these immigrants and the abhorrent treatment of Chinese railway workers and stuff like that. But wow. I just want to say, um, there might have been access to tea. Because it was, you know, they right, they, they were all drinking tea and they were trading tea. And so um, tea also at that time might have helped protect from certain, I don't know, like waterborne diseases that were transmitted through polluted water. So if you boiled the water, maybe oh, right. it yeah. helped a little or something like that. But then, um, and I, that's just speculation. I don't really know if that's true, but I know that boiling water is like, you know, before you drink it sometimes when you don't have access to clean water. Anyway, um, so tea was actually a popular drink for American colonizers. When they first started, you know, colonizing uh-huh. the country. And so uh, then, you know, of course, we all know, like, the Boston Tea Party happened. And um, so that led eventually to the American Revolution kind of a thing. And then because uh, of the taxes and all that. But that didn't really stop Americans from drinking tea. It was just more like a 
on the outside there was this attitude of tea, but then like everyone was still drinking fucking tea. Right. So you know it's kind of like the whole freedom fries thing. Yeah. Right. Anyway, um, everyone's still eating French fries. <laughs> anyway. So, but it's this whole thing of like, uh, tea was approximately 65% of the total trade in 1860 is the thing that I read. Okay. So I have no idea. That's like 20 years out from where we're at right yeah. now. So it's possible there was access to tea, but maybe this re- location is so remote that Edward Gray was like, oh, you don't have as much tea as British people have. So <laughs> little backwater hicks over here with no tea, but like, it's also entirely possible there might've been. So I don't yeah. know. I have no idea, but like, I think like maybe he was trying to be like, well, this looks like a fucking piece of shit place, <laughs> right? I don't have tea here. You don't even have tea here, you uncivilized motherfuckers. So I thought that was a particularly... Struck me as very interesting. That's yeah, all. that to is interesting. I, I like how you Sorry took apart that little, I know. Sorry <laughs> that, for that the, little quote. For the O'Donnell tangent. No, I love that. I love no, that. That was great, actually. It was uh, really good. I, I just assumed that they just didn't carry tea. Right, <laughs> but you would think, because there's... Because they're yeah. they're British colonizers, and then it's only like a what a couple hundred years, right? Anyway, so yeah. whatever. So well, wait, <laughs> go ahead. Weren't the uh, wasn't Utah also like settled by the Mormons? And don't they have a thing? Yes, yes. Like tea and caffeine. Okay, and oh, maybe that's you're right. right. Okay, because but, but alcohol even, is fine. I didn't even think about that. Because <laughs> when I was reading about the Utah Territory, there was a lot of this. Wow, and they Aubrey. were colonized by Mormons. That totally and blows so my mind. They don't have tea. They don't have tea. Yeah. Dude, Aubrey, wow. up top. Good job. But they definitely have liquor. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> the Mormons I mean, yeah. don't like that either. You drink either. more whiskey than water, for sure. But no, that's, that's so interesting. I didn't even think about that angle at all. I totally got past wow. me. Very cool. Okay, interesting. <laughs> so Gray asks the bartender where the sheriff is. Gray says, there's a man he's looking for, and the nearby patrons overhear his conversation, and the bartender warns Gray. I wouldn't ask about him here. I was you. And Gray presses on, right? But you don't even know who I mean. This man was headed out this way some months back, and his trail ends here. Maybe you can help me. It would have been back in June. And the bartender's like, oh, no, not me. And don't bother with the sheriff, neither. Take my word as that. Best you just forget about this gent you're looking for. And Gray's like, I think not, but thank you for the water. And I like how they introduce this kind of character here. So I noticed like with the colors, like yeah. the background guys yeah. just kind of like fade muted, into. Yeah. But mm-hmm. this guy with the red flannel and his blue bandana, he really kind of starts to stand it's out. It's like in those old timey cartoons when yeah. you could tell that someone was about to move their arm. Right. Because it yeah. was a slightly different color. <laughs> yeah. Because all most of it was just painted background. The only right. things they were gonna animate <laughs> with the animation arm. cells was the arm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I like this. Uh, it's a good technique. I'm yeah. not trying to knock it. I just, you know, that's what is reminiscent of for me. That that's a that's a good analogy. <laughs> but I love this because the bartender's like trying to tell Gray. He's like, "Hey, you know, I don't want any part of this. You shouldn't ask about it." And then all loud in front of everyone, he goes, "By the way, what happened to the church out there?" Oh man! <laughs> then this guy immediately jumps in. Right? He's like, "Why ain't you the curious one? They all kinds of things you got to know, eh?" And Gray's like, "It was an innocent enough question, but if you mean to start a fight," and he starts like tossing his little cane around. And this guy, we're gonna meet him later with the mustache. Let's and call the- him Kurt Russell he's because like- he. <laughs> definitely should be Kurt Russell if this uh, were a great, movie. Great casting choice. Yeah. Yes. I have to demand and they so, cast Kurt Russell. And uh, so Morgan Kaler slash Kurt Russell, he's watching all this going on like, what the fuck is this English guy doing? Yeah, man. And he's like, what? No questions about me? No? Got me all figured out. Well, now you just go on hoping this is just a fight. 
you hold on to that stranger and this panel right here is very reminiscent to me of those cracked uh magazines sure he would always have a character like an evil character that kind of looked like this guy yeah and so i really like that too i also like how like the characters in the background are just kind of faded into silhouettes at this point but they're all gotten up the table and they've moved the fuck back yeah (laughs) People don't be coming around here to be found. You begin to understand that, and Gray's like, you aren't the man I'm looking for, but if you keep on this way, I may not be on home soil, but I'm still an agent of the crown. Don't test my defense of it. And he's like, woohoo, agent of the crown. Well, the queen herself come a-callin'. And then they have this gunfight, right? And so we get like a two-page spread of all this happening. And so I really like all this. They're shooting at each other. Gray like has to hide behind a table. He turns it over. But I like how uh, Gray says to himself, "Hell, Edward, you're a damn fool." <laughs> and he takes these guys out. Gray, he's kind of like waiting under the table. He's waiting for them to run out of bullets or something. And he just gets up and he just shoots them all. He like totally empties everything and he just shoots all of them. I thought this was really cool. This was like a pretty badass little moment. Sure. Yeah. But then the lady, she's like. You killed him. And he's like, what? They fired on me. You saw it. And then the, all of them just start ganging up on him. They're calling him Egg Suck. Okay. <laughs> We've seen that a couple times. I guess that was a, a common thing that they said back then. And Gray's just like, are you mad? I was defending myself. And then these two other guys come out. You ain't done neither. And that one of them has a big knife. And so they're getting ready to fight Gray. They know that he's out of bullets. And so as we cut over to the next page, we just see one of these guys being thrown out of the window. Crazy. And Gray's just like, and so we're finished then, right? And so I thought this was really badass. Like, I, I went back to In the Service yeah. of Angels, and he had some good fight scenes in that one, but most of it was holding up the sword and saying some prayers, sure. you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And so this one, I feel like we get... Uh, he he's did have a fist fight now. It's, yeah, you know. he's got some fist fight going on, and he's um he's he can hold his own, you know? I like seeing all that. And we go outside, and that guy with the mustache uh, that Danielle calls Kurt Russell... <laughs> Uh, definitely Kurt Russell he's out there and um, he meets Gray just as he exits the bar and I was looking at all these signs so in the crack I hate to keep coming back to the cracked comic books but like oh, yeah, in those sure. like they would all have silly names or yeah. something and like my eye it's gets drawn to, not, to them yeah. because I'm looking for those things but he's not doing cracked he's doing no, a yeah. serious western <laughs> uh, supernatural story so they all have regular names anyway so Gray he tells him you have me at a disadvantage not me just everyone else and he throws Gray a gun, so he's like, I'm your I'm your pal. He's like, I fetched your gear. The hotel wasn't sorry to lose your business. And he's like, so I'm to ride off with you and be saved? Is that the way of it? You were in there before the fighting started. I saw you. Wouldn't that have been a better time to have helped? And this guy, we're going to learn his name is Morgan Kaler. I'm not going to sit out here, John, with you much longer, son. You coming? And then so Gray turns around and he sees all the people are kind of ganging up. So pretty much everyone in the bar and i love these panels where he like he's turning away from them walking away and going with morgan i really love these moonlit yeah uh yeah. scenes here yeah. as they go through the um because when you're out desert. yeah sorry yeah. when you're out in a like a dark sky park that's sad that you even have to go find those now but like if you know there's no light pollution at all it does fucking look like that the full moon is so fucking bright it does look yeah. like that and just the coloring on it um, is just really mm-hmm. amazing. It really like sets the scene that we're in a desert or something, or you know, there's no yeah. there's no lights from anywhere. 
And Gray thanks Kaler. That'd be just nearly the only thing you should have said tonight. And Gray's like, pardon me? Get this straight in your head, friend. That was all your fault back there. Every bit. Whoever the hell you are, you lit the fuse on this night all by yourself. And Gray's like, well, as to who I am, my name is Edward Gray. Morgan Kaler. That bartender warned you now, didn't he? And what'd you do? You just kept pushing is what? All right, Mr. Kaler, Gray says. Let's assume I'm an idiot that I need to be schooled. What about the sheriff? Shouldn't we have gone to him? Greenhorn, Kaler says, you just killed the sheriff. So that was that guy in the flannel, right? right? And yeah. if you're me reading the story and this guy is like, hey, what about me? What do you think about me, huh? And I was just like, literally no one is fucking talking to right. me. But like, <laughs> of course he's looking for the sheriff, so he was talking about him the whole time. But right. like, until I was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah. why that guy was all in his face. I was Before I was just like, who the fuck is this guy? Oh, yeah, yeah. So it was a good reveal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I mean, I guess at first I thought it was just some random yeah. drunk in the town. <laughs> what are you doing? Hey, I'm the random drunk in the town. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know who I would have cast as that, and all my casting is coming from Tombstone now. <laughs> so I guess I should stop because honestly, I just I really would just like to see the entire cast of Tombstone doing the story. Right. Would that be that would be good? Let's do it. Well, uh, Jerry Turnbull he always says that Christian Bale should be Edward Gray. Okay, thank you. That was one of my. I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, really? Uh, so, you have that. Yeah, I actually have there's that a scene, later. There, there's a scene where we see Gray all buff and everything, yeah. and I was like, okay, that would be Listen, Chris, that, that would be a good Christian this, Bale. But I have them for later. Okay. So we'll talk about that later. But that's yeah, later. that's one of the names I wrote down for, for Edward Gray, for sure. And Kaler says, yep, quite a mess you made. He killed the one before him, though, so it's only fair, really. So that guy had just killed the previous sheriff and whatever. So Gray's like, all right, I guess I do need a lesson. I like how he like goes, okay, yeah. You, you do know more than I do. And Kaler says, Reedland wasn't always like this. She was a mining town. Cole, a nice place, almost. After the church incident, respectable folks pulled up stakes. Mining company, too. Coal so miners, we're learning more about the town that we right. were trying to talk about earlier. Yeah. Yep. Coal miners is hardly saints when they have work. You take that away, and they become animals. Gambling, prostitution, even rustling. So I had to look that up. Do you know what rustling is? Yeah, they're stealing cows. Yeah, yeah. they take all their cattle. Cattle rustlers. It's all they got, just trying to get by, really. But they get jumpy when they think anything like a lawman shows up. How you couldn't have seen that. And Gray's like, you say after the church incident? You like your questions, don't you, boy? I wasn't in town, but everyone tells it the same. And so he tells him this church story, right? These ladies arrived into town for church and all these guys showed up as well so they could see the ladies they all go in there well i think it's they're more just showing up to the town right he says like early summer brought a few single ladies to town the church was greeting them so like you know i guess the church was basically where people went for their community right great kind of a deal and so when they all get there the doors suddenly close and when they're closed just a couple seconds they hear all these screaming and the horses were all freaked out. Right. Yeah. We've touched on that earlier. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah we have talked about being that. being able to sense horrible shit. And so they have to use an axe to get the doors open. And when they go in there, everybody's gone. 30, maybe 40 folks, all of them just gone. And then there's that sigil on the floor. So we saw that earlier. Well, it's a right? circle. It's a full of a group of sigils. Right. And I right. wonder if that's like the uh, the Thor thing. Right, Where yeah, it does kind of look like that. Is you know he does the what's it called teleportation thing, and then there's the all travels the, the Bifrost. Yeah, the yeah. Bifrost, yeah. and there's the yeah. runes on the ground. It's like burned in the ground. I don't know it's speculation. Kaler says Satan kicked the Lord out of his house. Only one way for the town to take it back. 
And so it shows them burning the church. So that's why when that lady was praying in it, it was all destroyed. Mm. No, not Satan, I think, Gray says. Listen, an Englishman, a Lord Glaren, came through this way about that time. Would you have heard anything about him? So we've heard a little bit about Lord Glaren. I don't know if you remember this detail, but he was the one that unwrapped Panya. Yeah. And then her eyes turned green. And then he kind of took control over her and he tried to keep her for himself. And then so she escaped with the Oan Society and then they did the same thing to her. Yeah. But that's who Lord Glaren was. And he was the ruler of the Heliopic Brotherhood. So that's who Gray's looking for. Hmm. And Kaler just ignores that. And I noticed like in the panel, like I really like this detail. It looks like he's looking at him from the side of his eye. Right? Kaler, when he's asking him. Yeah. And he just ignores that question. Trell gets tricky here. Keep your wits about you. And so Gray's like, hmm. (laughs) Mr. Kaler, is your usual practice to travel with two horses? No, not usually, he says. And then just then this buffalo monster thing jumps out, right? It's this guy with a big buffalo head. And it startles Gray. And so that's how the issue ends. So we're like, oh, what's happening, right? (laughs) And then, uh, so issue two. So I love this cover of issue two. Yeah, it's super good. And I actually, I, I don't have all these covers, but I do have some of them. They look so cool with yeah, the full really color. Good. You know, if you're reading this issue by issue, all you're left with is that buffalo thing jumping out. And then as issue two opens, we quickly reveal, knock it off, Isaac, we got company. And get cleaned up if you want any dinner. And so he just takes the buffalo head off. It's like a mask, right? And we see Isaac. He's this. He's like uh, Kaler's sidekick, right? Did you happen to see that uh, Severin signed the bottom panel? Oh yeah, it does say Severin down there, and I think it's the only one. I like. I noticed it when I was reading it last night, and I was just like, I have to look at every panel in <laughs> detail right now. And that's the only one I spotted. But uh, yeah, yeah. It's, wow. Uh, I wonder. I want to go back and look at that War of Frogs issue and see if there's a Severin mm. signature hidden in there somewhere. Yeah. I like that. Don't mind Isaac. That'd be his idea of fun is all. Come on now, Kaler says to Graham. So that's already weird. So we meet this guy, Isaac. The first thing he does is jump out. It reminds me of uh, when Dwight takes... Uh, who does he take uh, over? Ryan? No, but it, oh. isn't it when he takes Jim and Pam over to his farm and doesn't yeah. mow... Doesn't Moe's. Mo, doesn't Moe's jump out and do something? Yeah. I thought it's it was like, you have to wrestle Moe's. Oh, is it when like, it, no. is it with Ryan? Or I think it was when he yeah. took Ryan out because he's like training him to be a salesman. Oh, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Anyway, that's what it reminded me of. No, it's, yeah, it's exactly that. That's what it was. Around the campfire, Kaler and Gray enjoy some dried elk. And Isaac apologizes. I hope you wasn't scared, none. Sorry if you was. I be Isaac. Hello, Isaac. I'm Edward. So they meet each other there. And um, I thought this was interesting. So, oh, well, I guess he just washed his clothes. So he's like, my clothes are still wet. I'm going to let them dry in front of the fire. So Kaler goes to bring his food out for him. And while he's doing that, uh, Isaac and Gray just look at each other. You hear that, Isaac says. Isaac's like, Shh, listen, you got to listen. And so from far off, you know, we reveal that these um, indigenous people are dancing around a fire And so I did a little bit of research on this. So the dance for all people requires a ceremonial fire. In the tradition, there is always a head fire keeper who assumes the chief responsibility for tending the fire. It is said the dance of old was originally given to the Shushone Payette people by a coyote. They believe the fire to be a living being or beings. 
It is considered an aspect or relative of the sun, sometimes referred to as a ray of the sun, and people pray to the one who lives beyond the sun, not to the sun itself. The puha, or power of the sun, resides in the fire, its essence in the glowing coals, and so this very powerful force must be treated with great respect. The ceremonial fire is looked upon as a fire without end, much like the eternal flame in other earth-based traditions. So this ceremonial fire is actually part of the tradition of the Paiute people who are the natives that we have in this story. So I liked how that all actually connects to, you know, it's very um, stereotypical to say, oh, these natives, yeah. they dance around a fire and do all this stuff. But these Paiute, these Paiute people actually did do that. And there is significance to this dance. So they, they did their research is what you're saying. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Apparently, only Isaac can hear this because Kayla's like, don't bother straining your ears. Isaac could hear a mosquito cough in Boston. So Isaac has like this really supernatural hearing, right? Or he can like, we, we get a sense that he's unusual. Yeah. If you're finished, best you turn in. We'll ride over to Hazeltown in the morning and you can catch the stagecoach there. And Gray's like, no, I can't leave. I told you Glaren's trail leads here. And the story you told me about the church convinces me that he's still here. Son, you go back into town, someone's sure to die. That what you want, Kaler asks? As for the church, I got my own thoughts on that, and they don't include your boy. Wait, you're not going to tell me about these thoughts of yours? Gray asks. And Kaler's like, strikes me, you're the kind needs to be shown. So I'll do that in the morning. And so they wait till the morning, and he takes Gray out. And again, I just love the transition in from the nighttime lighting to the daytime. Mm. Dave Stewart just does an awesome job. So in the morning on their courses... You know, Gray mentions to Kaler that Isaac is an odd one. And Kaler says that he won't argue with him on that. And he says, what's so funny? And he goes, lots of things. And I is, yeah. is he kind of meaning like, because Gray's odd? Because I was thinking like, Gray's saying, that guy Isaac's pretty yeah. odd. But to he's Kaler, he's like, weird, you're yeah. the one that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, that's what I thought that line was where he says that. Anyway. So they're going they're going somewhere because uh, he's going to he's gonna show him something. He's going to show Gray something. And then we turn the page and I was so... You can imagine how disappointed I was with this. Oh, yeah. Very Dances with Wolves. White yeah. Savior weird thing going yeah, on. Yeah. So they do have this... Um, we're at the Paiute settlement and this white woman, heiress addresses them. And she says they have every right to not trust her, but they need a white woman to help them. Wow. Yeah. Wowzers. Eris says that an angel visited her when she was at her lowest moment. That's a yikes from me. The angel brought her to the Paiute land of the dead. And she wondered why she was brought there until she met Poco. And according to the Paiute Indians, Poco is the creator god. And she says that he sang stories to me about Sinahaha. And so Sinahaha is from Paiute legend. He is a giant who can kill people by looking at them. And she, they also mention Coyote a lot. And that's one of the yeah. Paiute gods also. And she also mentions that he told him about the Kerry Shinobe, the treasure that would at last free the Paiute. And that is my mission, to bring Kerry Shinobe to you. So this Kerry Shinobe, as the Indians refer to it, is a sacred mine. It was left by ancient ones. It supposedly contains ancient artifacts handcrafted out of gold, silver, and precious stones, along with stacks of silver and pure gold. The Indians, out of respect for the ancient ones, have kept the location a secret to most especially the white man and only allowing a few to marvel at its vast beauty and wealth that the chamber holds. So that's the legend of that Carrie Shinobe. And I think Kaler talks about that later. And so, yeah, he's pointing her out to Gray and telling him how she's kind of taking control of these people. 
And she kind of got control of these people because there was a deputy that wasn't good to the Paiute people. And she put a hex on him. And then um, he was found torn to pieces out on the prairie. So then now the Paiute people love this woman. Because they're like, you helped us against that guy. Mm. And then so Kaler and Eris, they share this look on this third panel, right? And uh, I just really like this moment where they kind of stare each other down. (laughs) That didn't look too friendly, Edward says. Well, she knows that I know, Kaler says. Know what exactly? And so Kaler tells Gray of her origin, a teenage girl in New Jersey who found an old book. I learned how she made little dolls out of clay and put something like life into them. And so we see her making this kind of puppet and then it starts doing stuff, right? A witch, Gray says. (laughs) Kaler's response is really good. He says, that's what you call it, yeah. And she's using Paiute legend with a chaser of Christianity to hide it. (laughs) Oh, man. I like how he also talks about, like, look, your friend is not involved and you don't want to be involved. Right. And Sir Edward Gray's like, yeah, probably. But he says uh, that he's not in a hurry to leave because he's nostalgic for home. And right. so, yeah. And so the other, you know, Kurt Russell says uh, <laughs> he's never been to London, but he's seen he's seen some pictures. Yeah. And Gray's like, not all Englishmen are born in London. Where I'm from is not so expansive as all this, but still. Then I guess this is all a load of manure, right? And he's and- got a comic. He's got a Sir Edward Gray comic, Sir Gray and the Vampires. And it looks like the cracked magazine yeah. uh, drawings, like when he would do the vampires. And so that's really great. I love all that. Is it is it a comic or is it just like a pulp novel with the cover? Like a the cover i don't oh, know yeah maybe yeah. it's just, maybe a, pulp, it's just obviously, a pulp novel yeah, yeah. Maybe there weren't comics but i don't know and how they draw gray here with the two swords and all that is really funny yeah because they used to like write those books of like about billy the kid sure that would right. get published in new york and people would be like oh, billy the kid the pulps yeah yeah and so kayler says isaac loves those stories and so gray's like well so you knew who i was right you knew who i was all or at this least time. like the caricature yeah yeah. And then this is kind of cool. We get Gray's origin, right? Yeah, we've never seen this. Yeah, so he talks about he grew up in the large estate of Sir Robert Hastings in West Sussex. My father was his game warden, and so Gray's out there learning how to hunt and all this kind of stuff. And they're finding in, let me see what year is this, 1869, they're nice. finding cattle being eaten. And so they're out there and they're looking. They form search parties and they're not able to make any connections except by me. And we see little Edward Gray and he's all like in his like little kid investigating. Yeah. He's got his little torch. and his Sherlock. What a, yeah. Holmes he looks like a little outfit. Sherlock Holmes. Exactly. He's only 12 years old. And so he goes inside this tomb the Hastings family vault and he goes inside and he sees that all the caskets have been disturbed and someone's been eating those dead bodies. But a corpse is a poor substitute for live flesh. And we see in the corner, there's a werewolf, right? This drawing of this werewolf reminds me so much of that artist. Fuck. Cycle of the werewolf. Bernie Wrightson. Bernie Wrightson. Yeah. Bernie Wrightson on cycle of the werewolf. Yeah. This drawing of this werewolf reminds me so much of Bernie Wrightson. Yeah. Rest in peace. Yeah. Shades. Bernie Wrightson. And so Gray has a really good battle against this werewolf. He like tries to shoot at it, but it kind of claws at him and it bites him. I thought this was really unusual, right? Like the werewolf like bites him and it like mangles him pretty good. And so in the lore, if a werewolf does this to you, then you become a werewolf. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, But we see at the last minute, Gray gets his gun and he shoots the werewolf and it turns back into one of the Hastings. It's the oldest son having just returned from Paris. In his stomach, they found raw meat along with a child's locket. And we see Gray, you know, he's injured 
the tomb starts on fire and everything and you know gray is able to get over to this graveyard and he leans on this tombstone that says abraham e powers and i should have looked that up i don't know if that's if that's anything oh yeah i don't know but Gray says he was doomed, but Sir Hastings wouldn't allow that. So they have like this exorcism, right, or something. They bring a priest in. So that's the the guy who was a werewolf. That's his dad. Right. So yeah. He was. He said it was. It's hard for him to accept what his son did, but he, you know, he acted quickly and and yeah. tried to save Edward. Yeah, he saved him from his son's curse. I escaped the circles of damnation that summer thanks to Hastings, the doctors, the church, and the grace of Almighty God. So I thought that this was interesting too, because like. I was just like, he has this weird werewolf thing in his origin. Yeah. yeah. Like, I thought, like, that yeah. was really cool. Really a nice, like, supernatural. Sure. You know, I wonder if that helps, lends to his yeah, abilities absolutely. or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Or, well, I, I, I wonder if it just straight up kind of was just the beginning of, I'm a witch finder. Right. I'm going to go do. Well, yeah, it clearly was. Occult but like stuff. But did the You're werewolf. You're saying he got, he, has, he, he got supernatural abilities. He got something, maybe. I don't know. But, okay, we saw him walking under a full moon earlier in the story. Well, so yeah, I don't think he's, he's a not, werewolf, but I right. think maybe he has some, I don't know. Well, I mean, um, it definitely cemented his faith and his um, his faith in God and the mm-hmm. Christian right, church. Right, right. With the whole, like, you know, they prayed over me and God and the churches, but it was the almighty God. And so he probably led him to developing not developing. It led him to voting his life towards that cause, right? Right. A witch finder. And a lot of times there are like like different types of stories where it's not a particular. It's it's your it's how much your faith in what you believe in is actually where you get your power from. Right. Right. Yeah. You're saying he's like a he's got a, like a paladin, yeah, kind yeah. of effect going on. Yeah, that's okay. cool. Interesting. I like that. And so they're talking about uh, as they continue to walk, you know. Grace says, the only thing true in here is that I now do live in London, of the little comic book. And as Uh they're talking, um, then they start getting shot at immediately, right? So they take cover. Well, and also, I think another thing that's important to point out here is that Kurt Russell's opinion of him is now... Oh, yeah, now it's changed. It's, yeah. it's, he's coming around. He's like, okay, well, maybe I was wrong, and you're not so bad. And you're not just like a fancy boy I had it. London, I had it all yeah. wrong. And he readily admits, he's like, well, I was wrong, and now yeah. I'm on your side, kind of a thing, which is cool. Yeah. Because so, they're like, about to get into a gunfight, so yeah. you want someone who has your back. Right. In a so I like this little I think team it's up here. Yeah. And Grace says, seems that Glaren may be involved after all. So Kaler gets a pretty good shot at this guy, but it looks like he misses because the guy is just standing there on the horse. Old eyes just can't do what they used to, I guess, Kaler says. So they were they were being shot at. Yeah. And then they shoot back and then they're, the guys who were shooting at them are just like, never mind. And yeah. They, and leave. But, oh, never mind. He just explained it. Yeah. He, <laughs> he says he'll hogtail it now. He knows I got the range on him. Right. Yeah. And it's good that he's still alive because Edward Gray is trying to question him. Right. Kerr Russell says, hey, you got a lot of people riled up. So now everyone's mad at you. And Edward Gray's like, that... Doesn't matter to me. And so they're like, let's hang back. We're trying to get the whole pick. We're trying to assess the situation. Yeah, We're I like Kaler's like, yeah. like, look, let's just hang on for a little bit. Let's just take a step back. And Ed Gray's like, you're a careful man. Yep, try it sometime, he says. He makes sure that Gray has that magazine because he <laughs> it's the one that Isaac likes. I really like the, all these Aww, little details. Yeah. He goes yeah. to get him his dinner um earlier in the story and you know they they really uh carry by each other i, I like that these characters yeah. are just not like we're gruff cowboy men and we just fend for our you no know, they really they, they, care they, about they, each they other, have yeah. friendships and relationships and gray says 
I know they paint me the lusty darling hero. Never at a loss as I carve my way through fantastic adventures. It's all idiotic, absurd. I know that too. I have done good work, you understand. But there's always a cost. And we see he's remembering Mary from the last story who was found hanged at the end of In the Service of Angels. And so the more this guy gets a more complete picture of Edward Gray, the more I think that he's like, oh, shit. I totally have this guy wrong. You know, he's a real person. He's not just some character. He's got this. He's dealt with things. He's suffered through loss. And he has seen some shit, just like me. So he's kind of starting. His reputation with Kurt Russell is is starting to grow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> who would you want to cast as Sir Edward Gray? Because this because we get a good shot of his his face, not a shot, but we get a good drawing uh, of his face in these couple of panels here, and you can kind of like, if you were to cast from this page, right? So I was thinking, like, of course we already talked about like Christian Bale, right? right? It would be perfect, yeah, obviously for this role. Uh, I think like if you've ever seen, I'm trying to think of like British actors. So he's a British actor. Oh, okay, yeah. I guess Tom Hilson with the mustache and beard. Oh, yeah. But like, I don't know. I'm so used to him being a villain and right. stuff that it's hard to. I think Christian Bale would be my number one. Yeah, Christian Bale is a good one. But yeah, I can yeah. definitely see from this panel here. I could see like the Tom Hiddleston. I could see that working. I like a Keanu, but his... I love Keanu, but his British accent is not... No, it, his British accent <laughs> is not good. It's not good. I know... Every once in a while, I keep thinking uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, but I really, mm. I really like um, He's got Christian such a round Bale. Face, though. Well, I mean, like his face is kind of round in that. No. Panel. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. No. Yes. And uh, they kind of, I, I like these last two panels too. It's a very kind of somber end yeah. to that conversation. Very cowboy. Yeah, it is very. They're cowboy. literally riding off into the sunset. I yep. mean, <laughs> and that's a beautiful panel too. Yeah, well, these next the next page is very beautiful. I think at yeah, night there's the yeah. the moonlight and then also the light from the fire. As we zoom in, we yeah. see that somebody's staying over the fire, and so Gray pops out of the back. All right, Glaren, not a move from you, or I'll shoot you where you are. And as Glaren goes for his gun, Kaler's on the other side of him, so they've got him cornered, and they're like, "Ha ha, we got you, we got trouble." And then Glaren stands up and he's got it. He's dead, it's right? The ghost of Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, he's a. Uh... <laughs> so I think Kaler did shoot him, right? Yeah. When Kaler was like, oh, totally got him. man, I missed. Yeah. Center mass. That's Center like, mass, yeah. right. So, yeah. And that's how that issue ends. Chapter three. Oh, this is a really cool cover, too. Yeah. Or I guess he only shot one. him once, but he still shot him like right through the middle of the chest there. Yeah. And so they have this shootout with, with um, Kaler, right? And so they're kind of like hanging back. Gray's like, you shot a hole as large as a bird's nest through him. I don't see how that revolver will do any better. So they decide to, you know, they they want um, Glaren to run out of bullets. And then when he does, you know, Gray approaches him. He's like, all right, Glaren, what's your next move? He just runs at he him. He's just like, rawr. He's a, he, says, you know. <laughs> he said, what's your next weapon? Oh, yeah. is that what he said? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. All right, Glaren, what's your next weapon? And then he just Frankensteins the guy, he just at runs, him. Yeah, he Frankensteins at yeah. him. Just runs at him. And uh, yeah, so Edward starts fighting him, and then um, this is really cool. So as Edward's like trying to get away from him, all of a sudden from off panel, he's lassoed, and then over these two pages, we get a nice bit of action here. We get we get another calling him an egg suck over here. Oh yeah, <laughs> we should do the uh, counter. And how many times we've heard egg suck in this uh, series? So, but uh, so the uh, the Frankenstein's being pulled towards the fire. What's his? I keep Kaler. calling him Kurt Russell. Yeah, uh, Morgan Kaler. Morgan, so, yeah. Ka- Morgan cuts the line 
just as soon as he's over the fire, so he explodes in the fire and burns up. Well, yeah. Well, he's cool. got it tied to the horse, and he slaps the horse to start yeah, pulling him. It's and super then good. right when it's over the fire, yeah, he cuts it. That is so cool. And now we get the impression he knows how to kill zombies. He's yeah. like, oh, there's more than one way yeah, to exactly. kill a zombie. So. We Ugh. cut back over to the Paiute settlement, and Eris mm-hmm. is talking to that old woman. She calls her Wavia, so I guess that's her name. It's time to go. She said, it's time for everyone to go. Everyone who wants to see the new world and new life. It might be Wavea or something like that. Wavea? Oh, okay. No yeah. I yeah. have no clue. Wavea is probably correct. And she says, come meet Kaipa the Ancient. And um, that's not, I couldn't find a reference to that. So yeah, I think that's I just know. a character created for this story. Back with Morgan and Ed Gray. So Gray and Kaylor have this moment because Gray's like telling him to get some shut eye. Unless you got a problem betting down near Smokey there. Um, the dead burn glaring that they just fought. And Gray's like, I don't like that flippant tone. And so they have a kind of fight back here. And well, Gray's he's like, saying, you know, you're, you're taking everything really easy and you have a plan for everything. Exactly. He's always prepared. He had two horses. You when know he, what's going on. Yeah. yeah. And Gray's like, he says, I can't be other than suspicious of one too comfortable among the revenant damned. And then, you know, his argument is, well, I saved you and now you're suspicious of me. What, what that? What's that about? Right. And he's like... Um, he's like, it's my mission to do these things, but I would guess the average man. And then Kaylor's like, there, I'm just the average man. Yeah. You know You're what I the mean? great famous monster hunter and I don't know how to do it. Right. Sure. Okay. And he even takes that word that Gray used. He said, I doubt he was a revenant, whatever yeah. the hell that might be. More likely we got here a zombie. Which are the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I mean, they, well, they get there by different means, like. The way that the revenants and zombies are created right. are probably different, but the end result is the same. You've got an undead shambly guy coming at you. Yeah, and I really yeah. like this because when Gray is like, I'm f- unfamiliar with that term, he says it's a Creole word, and it is. Yeah. Um, so I looked that up. That's in all of the legend. Well, I think it's important to even point out here that it's like uh, he says it's a corpse controlled by someone else. And it's just a puppet. Right. So I think yeah. like, you know, some zombies are just like, oh, they do whatever they want, which is looking for brains. And then some zombies are like under the control of someone else. And anyway. Right. And Gray makes the connection that it's probably that witch, Eris, who they met earlier that's controlling them. If it's two here, why? What is this place? And they see kind of all these um, ancient drawings or runes. And I wonder, and I noticed this one has like a really big hand, right? But I guess that's the left hand. Because I was like, is that the right hand of doom? But no, I don't think so. Well, I guess the original statue had both hands like that. Mm. I guess we can't see what the other hand looks like. Mm, True. Anyway. Or it might be a shield. Oh, yeah. Huh. But it's got, like, fingers on it. Yeah. I don't know. And so they're examining these native etchings. And they're especially grandiose. Right. Special. They look like kings. Yeah, and he's like, what was that treasure that Eris mentioned? So they think that maybe they're in front of that Kerry Shinobe, right? The sacred mine. Legend aren't always only legends, Mr. Kaler, Gray says. And just then, this weird dog monster dog thing monster. charges out of the cave at them. And so back with the Paiute people, Eris takes them over to meet Kaipa the Ancient. And it's like this white priest, right? Oh, man. <laughs> so they're like, that's not him. It's the preacher who disappeared, right? Brought us to some white guy. Yeah. He's even white for white. (laughs) Right. But he immediately starts talking in the Timbasha language. 
And he's saying like what you're seeing is not really what's right. You know what you're seeing. And he's saying that he comes from the Great Valley, and like so, this woman Wavea, she's like she believes that it's him. She can speak that language too. And she's the only one there that can speak the language. Right. She's like the elder of the group, I guess. Yeah, and so yeah. she's like, um, you know, she tells everyone, "Come sit. I'll tell you what he's saying." And so they're like, "Thank you, Eris," and all this kind of stuff, right? Back with Ed Gray and Morgan Kaler slash Kurt Russell, they fight this giant dog thing, and the bullets are just bouncing off of it, right? It's like I think they say later it's made of stone. Oh, right. And I tried mm-hmm. to look for this. I tried to look for a kind of any reference to this. I couldn't really find anything to like a devil dog or a stone right. monster dog or whatever. Guardian, yeah, dog. Maybe this is adapted from Ghostbusters. Mm. <laughs> And Gray's like, any tricks for this occasion? And Kaler says, afraid not, but we split up and whoever it don't chase maybe gets a second to think of one. And so they split up and it keeps going after Gray. And he turns around to shoot at it and I think he's speaking in Latin. And I think he's saying in the name of the father, the son. Yeah, he's saying a prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And so just then, from up above, we hear a scream, and it's Isaac, right? Isaac comes jumping down. tackles the dog monster. You die, critter, he says. And as he's fighting it, he gets bitten pretty bad on the shoulder here. And this is really, all of this action is very just John Severin to me, like from the Cracked comics. And I just really like how all these these panels play out. Well, he grabs the dog by the leg and and, and he throws him and you can see that his side... He's he's made of stone. His side cracks. Right, and one of the legs oh, comes off. Yeah, good catch. Yeah, one of the legs comes off too. So he's still holding it. He's still holding it right there, left there, as the thing runs away. And so they come over, and Gray wants to tend to Isaac's wound, and so he gets that shirt off, and he's like, "Father in heaven." He's all scarred up. Yeah, all Isaac has had his troubles. It's okay, Edward. You ought not be jittered. Isaac says they didn't hurt none. Yeah, but he's got all these scars all over him. And so Kaler is like washing his wound. And Isaac says, Morgan, sun's high. You can read to me. And so I guess like this is another thing that they do, right? He reads to him. He reads to him. Yeah. So I thought that was really interesting. And so they go, um, you know, let Edward Gray do it. So they take out the letter. He's like, read the letter. Right then. He reads this letter. It's from 1839. And he's like, this is older than me, right? And it's an epistle. Yeah, what does that mean? Doesn't that just mean an old letter? Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's interesting. Yeah. And so he reads this letter, and it's basically from a daughter to a father, right? And she's saying, like, when am I going to see you again? And all this kind of stuff. Someone's accepted a position, and it's just all this kind of stuff. um, that That he'll, in the future, be able to finally meet little Sarah. So you see, Papa, I have my own reasons to be excited. After all, it's not so far off. Your dearest Rachel, right? So then Isaac's like, Rachel says nice things. And Grace says, she does. And after Isaac gets his gets dressed and he, he's all bandaged up. That's not how you do stitches, by the way. Each stitch is an individual stitch. Oh, okay. Well, maybe that's how they did it in the old days, Fuck though. no. <laughs> and so Isaac takes off this bracelet and he gives it to Edward. And he says, uh, thank you, Edward. And so he just puts it on his wrist there. They go back to check out that cave. It only goes 45 feet back. Big enough for Isaac, though. Never seen him tied to someone like he has to you. That gift, that means something, Kaler says to Edward. So, and he's like, what, did, what was the thing with that letter? He's like, I felt weird reading such a private thing. Where did you find it? And Kaler's like, it's Isaac's. And then he just like goes, come on, we're overdue for some serious rack time. We get this scene where... 
Gray is kind of stitching himself up. And I guess it's a dream, right? And he sees Mary, right? And there's all the like smoke around. Because remember, she would turn into that thing, Zora or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's Mary at first. And then it's that old woman. And and there's a coyote. And the coyote's speaking to him. Nice. Edward Gray, sacred to you is your Holy Spirit. Sacred to me is mine. Sacred is mine. Sacred mine. And then he just wakes up. And it it's like that Simpsons where uh, Lisa's trying to... They have the dream sequence the where... Burns his fruit. <laughs> burns his fruit. Well, there's literally also a hallucinogenic scene. He's uh, confronted... A coyote comes up oh, to him. Oh, yeah. Where he see uh, Guatemala insanity peppers. <laughs> right. Well, there's a coyote voiced by... Uh, uh, Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. Thank yeah. you. And he's talking about, here's what you need to do. And all that sort of thing. And so I guess this is kind of, you know, um, by now in popular culture, it's sort of a stereotype. But this is really something that um, uh, a lot of indigenous people believe that, that, you know, they they worship the spirit of the coyote or stuff. I'm not going to pretend like I know all the details about it. I'm just kind of putting it out there that this is like a a thing for some cultures. Yeah. That's probably my favorite episode of this one. <laughs> yeah. and the so, art was actually really good, I think. The hallucinogenic journey part. Yeah, of that was good. Yeah. Anyway. And so Grace suddenly wakes up from this and he finds um, Kayla's watching over the campfire and they hear howling. Chapter four. Back with the, the Paiute settlement, the old woman is talking to this guy who's Kaipa the Ancient. They talk about how the white men talk a lot about resurrection. We all live forever, they say. And so she says that he's come back and he's explained something like that, too. So she's like, I think that must be true. You were there and now you are also back like the white man's God. Mm. And behind her, we see that there's this um, blanket being woven or whatever, right? On a loom, yeah. On a loom. And so they talk about death here, right? And talking about how um, you shouldn't be afraid of death. The land of death is nothing more than another nation, but more beautiful and gentler than ours. And she's like, it sounds like you miss being dead. And we get this like panel where he's just like thinking about yeah. it. It's like he, he is wistfully thinking about that. And Eris comes in. She asks for some privacy. And she immediately goes to this guy who's supposed to be Kaipa the Ancient. She's like, your work goes too slowly. You need to finish the shawl. I want you to finish it, and you know why. And she just walks away. And as we walk, as she walks away, we see that he stands up and starts working on it. Yeah, imagine being pulled out of right. this place where you're... It's preferable for you to be there. It was the natural way of things. It was like, okay, I died, and then I was... I got sent to this sacred place with all of these amazing the right. trees are beautiful the water is you're always full and your your heart always feels full and everything is well it's a very like sinister and evil thing right yeah to pull somebody yeah, out yeah she and then... she pulled him out and is forcing him to make this thing and, right and he's like you said he's wistfully thinking about this place yeah. that, he, that he was his next leg of his journey and now he's pulled backwards yeah you know can you imagine like having gone through something like that and then now you're you're back and it's just like Kind of yeah. reminds me of the uh, beginning of the second season, the sixth season of Buffy, when yeah. she got pulled She's, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, yeah. yeah, thinking about that too. Ah, okay. Thinking about uh, I think I was in heaven. The song, but she, yeah, and I can't tell yeah. anyone now because then they'll all feel bad because they pulled me back here. Uh, they, didn't they, thought know, she, yeah. they thought she was in hell. Yeah. Right. We have to cut all this out because if someone hasn't seen Buffy, I guess that show's like twenty years yeah, old. That's yeah, that's fine. All right, I'll put it on time stamp of limitations it. on that. And in the next scene, in case we weren't sure that the evil dog was sent by Eris, we see there that it was, right? And she's like, oh, they hurt you. It's all right, darling. I'll fix you up right. And then we'll both kill them. 
<laughs> well, it's like I actually like the expression of this dog's face and his ears. He's yeah. Very like, oh, you know, it's very. Uh, he, he's a good boy. Yeah. Even if his he kind of feels sorry. Isn't. Exactly. It's not. Yeah. It's not his fault that she's a. Uh, you know, not a very nice person. Right. right. Back with Edward, Morgan, and Isaac, they all sit around the campfire and they talk and they're trying to figure out, you know, Edward's dream and everything. He's telling them about the sacred mind and all of that. And I met the same old woman while in Reedland where there's an abandoned coal mine. And so they're like, okay, well, we'll guess we'll go check it out. And they're going to leave Isaac there while he heals. And so I really like this bottom panel as they kind of go off on their horses and Isaac's just kind of watching them. So back with Edward and Morgan as they ride off, Edward's like, you should have told me about Isaac. If that letter I read is really from his daughter, he couldn't be less than 80 years old, and I saw those grievous wounds on his body. What keeps him alive? It's all black magic, isn't it? Even this charm. And he shakes Jeez. he shakes it at him. At him. Kaler's like, if you're disgusted by sweet old Isaac, where's the hope for you? And how is it you're alive? The werewolf and the exorcism? What's that? And Gray's like, you can't compare those two things. And he's like, your medicine men use cross sticks to spook off demons. Tell me how that ain't magic. Your little world, that ain't the whole fucking world. God damn it, I was just starting to like you. Find your own way to the mine. I gotta stop to make. And he's got a point. You know, he's in another fucking country talking about, oh, your ways are weird. That's all black magic. It's evil. And he's like, what the fuck is the shit that you do? Right. It's bullshit. I really like that yeah, scene. Yeah, it's good to have another perspective. Yeah. And I like it when he uh, Gray says, um, you can't compare the two things. And Morgan's like, you mean you can't. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's good. Exactly. Sick burn, Kurt Russell. Yeah. Well, and it also kind of, <laughs> it kind of brings, a sick burn, Kurt Russell. <laughs> it kind of brings to mind like the whole, I feel like the indigenous culture thing is almost like a, it's almost pushed to the back of the story. But like, you know, trying to convert indigenous people to Christianity. Right. Oh, I use the word convert lightly because it's really just a very brutal yeah. fucking process in reality is it's genocide. It's yeah. a genocidal practice. And so, you know, like taking a people and being like, hey, all you dirty, filthy, idiot pagans. Right. You worship the Christian God or we'll fucking kill you. Like, it's just a very sinister fucking thing. And it's not really touched on. It's just like, oh, and then we convert them to Christianity. Right. Nice and clean, you know, dust off the hands sure. sort of a thing. But it's like, just, no, it's not like that at all. And so this, I don't know, when I saw the white lady, obviously we've we yeah. realized that she's the bad guy, which is appropriate. But, you know, when I first saw her, I was just like, no, please don't let this be a thing. Right. Please right. don't let this be another, you know, dances with wolves right, thing. Right, yes. Know? Anyway. And so when Morgan meets back up with Gray, he's at the mine. And Gray says that he's noticed over here a large tree bit warm for a blanket ain't it and so in the tree he's he's been able to see um eris and that guy who's yeah. kaipa the ancient she's, so he's he's located them too she's got that blanket and he looks so depressed right exactly and Kater says it's the preacher that vanished with all the others from the church and gray's like this keeps getting more and more curious what in god's name would he be doing with her you make sure and ask him that later, Kaler says. And they go to check out the mine. And they go in there for a long time. Gray says they've been in there two hours. The enormity of it is beginning to make me feel somewhat witless, he says. And then they find all these dead bodies, right? So these are all the dead bodies of all the other church folk that went missing when that circle appeared on the ground yeah. with all the sigils or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they're all dead. And as they're checking them out, one of them grabs Kaler's arm. And then they all start getting up and coming at them, right? 
zombies. And I like how, I like this detail, how their eyes are closed. They're all closed, yeah. Right. And they don't look like all gross. Like we usually see, like this is a very different. They're kind of preserved. um, And it's just a little bit more spooky with them coming around with like no eyes, like not looking with their eyes closed. Do you suppose their eyes were sewn shut? Oh, right. Yeah, maybe. Oh, oh wait. There aren't any marks on them. So. No, so yeah, because them. maybe if they were corpses and had already been prepared, but these were people who were alive at the church. Yeah. Yeah, so. Um, but yeah, so they have this awesome fight between all these zombies, right, that are coming out and getting them. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. That's one of the things that Grace says as they're fighting, and that's from Book of Job 14.1. We cut over to this awesome scene, and so we see this really beautiful scene. So we see a buck, and it's drinking water, and then this guy comes up behind it, and he kind of starts running after it. He's got a bow and arrow, and he's chasing it, and as he's chasing it, we see that Gray is also watching this happen, too. And he just kind of comes up beside the buck, and he just touches it, and then he lets it run off. I feel like that's a very classic um, scene, or something that maybe we've seen before? Is it paying homage to something? Or I don't know. But this is Kaipa the Ancient, right? And he's in the uh, he's remembering what it was like to be in the land of the dead. Right. And so, you know... Well, he doesn't need to hunt. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't need to hunt. So the hunt is really, oh, I caught up to the deer. Right. And I, I touched the deer. And yeah. I touched it. I yeah. won. I won the... Te- the deer's or, like, okay, bye. Or more like the, maybe like the deer let me touch it. Or right. Oh, like sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. And as we cut back to him being trapped in the priest's body, he says, it's just like that, a paradise, and I do miss it. And so, meanwhile, like, so Kaipa the Ancient and Wavea, they're there talking, and they've been talking this whole time, and all the other guys are like, wait, well, we still don't know what y'all are saying. They're like, it's time yeah. to tell us what is Kaipa the Ancient saying. Right. Like, if you talk for a long time, we want to hear his words. And then the guy's like, no, 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 you can't tell him what I'm saying. And they're like, uh... <laughs> She's like, okay, I won't tell them. You know, but then they all just walk away. They're like, were we fooled? You know what I mean? Or something like that. That's another interesting detail, though, that she's the only one old enough to remember the original language that her people spoke. Yeah. Because, of course, again, going back to the whole thing where a lot of indigenous people were forced to give up their various aspects of their culture, including like the language that 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 they spoke. And so we're like take all your kids and make sure that they only grow up learning right. our culture yeah. and our religion, our language and all this stuff. Sure. And so this is kind of like, she's the only one that knows the language. That's a really interesting aspect that they put in the story. I think I'm it's, not saying that that was the right. intended purpose or anything like that. It's just, that's what that makes me sure. think about. And she's like, what are you afraid of? You know, you're this great person. I never expected to see you afraid. And he's like, I never wish to overcome anything. And he tells her that Eris brought him back against his will he had reached the land of the dead, and then she forced him back into this white guy's body. She drinks from my spirit like a stream, making her stronger and me weaker. I'm powerless to do anything against her, powerless to do anything at all. But you, you have to help me. And he's like shaking he's like, this yeah, old woman <laughs> before it's too late. And we see the storm rolling in in the background. Mm, that's well done. That could easily be confusing looking. But yeah. I think that right. this is a really... You you can tell like you said you can tell immediately what's going on like a storm is rolling right, right? yeah mm-hmm. I wouldn't have the first clue as to how to illustrate that yeah all this John Severin stuff has been really yeah. cool and we cut back to the mine where they're fighting all the zombies if we can just get past them be a cinch to outrun them and how is that going to happen Grace says when a few dozen rounds of gunfire can't cut through the fiends. 
So Kaler gets this idea, he gets this big post, and he just kind of pushes them all back. I, I really like that. Yeah, he's, that was he, pretty smart. He's, yeah. he's really, uh, yeah, and Gray even says, that was quick thinking. He's always kind of ready for a plan. Do uh, you think that he's sort of an... Uh, the Western a, version? Yeah, and, I was going to yeah, say. <laughs> yeah, he kind of is. He really is, and immediately right here, he's like, not so fast, Gray, I need your torch, and he gets out some dynamite. And so he blows the mine, and it all collapses in on itself, so that way they're trapped there. They can't chase him anymore. If this were a show and this were like an episode of the show and they waited until like the next season to bring this guy back, like he would show up as like a deus ex machina. Right. Kind of a thing. <laughs> like, oh, it's that guy. And everybody's yeah. like, oh, he's back. And then, you know, see like the crowd reaction from like, right, the viewers yeah. and like maybe bring it back more often, bring right. part of the cast like as a regular kind of a deal. I Kurt Russell's on the regular happening. cast now. That would be so good, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, Gray asks him, why is that you're always ready? And he's like, I only got to fight a giant dog one time before I go get the dynamite. Nice. And he's like, you joke, but these last few days, it's been you or Isaac saving me. It's a role to which I'm unaccustomed, and I've been less than gracious about it. Mm. But Kayler's like, don't buy me drinks just yet. I've made a few mistakes myself. Every step of the way, I've been underestimating Eris, and every time we pay for it. So they go outside, and they're trying to anticipate Eris's next move. And on this last panel, we get this um, big spread with Eris. She's got the dead sheriff and a bunch of other dead people. Yeah, the splash page is super scary. Yeah. She's holding lightning. Yeah. Yeah, and the way that John Severin does the rain coming down is just really awesome. Nice closing page on this issue. And it looks like the dog got his leg back. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, he does have a leg back, yeah. Chapter 5, and this Buffalo God thing on the cover is really yeah. awesome that Mignola drew. I wish I had the back issue for this one. Over with the Paiute settlement, the storm is kind of ravaging everything. And Wavea calls to Kaipa the Ancient to come back inside. And he's like, I don't belong here. Do you understand? I need to go. Over with Ed Gray and Kaler, they're also making their way to Eris, and they start getting shot at, right? Gray gets shot in the shoulder. It's a town folk, isn't it, Gray says. Still after me for killing their sheriff. And so they can't see, like, who's shooting at them. It's just, like, all rain and silhouettes, right? Mm -hmm. And Gray tries to shoot, um, but his shoulder is too injured, right? He screams out when he tries to shoot. So Kaler tells Gray to go back to the cave. The cave filled with the living dead, Gray asks. <laughs> yeah, at least they don't have guns. Go on. I'll catch up to you directly, Kaler says. And so as Gray goes back to the cave, he gets cornered off by this dead sheriff and he shoots Gray right in the stomach. Damn. Yeah. And he just kind of walks off. So you're just like, holy shit, you know, what's happening? Kaler is still shooting all the guys and you still can't see them. So they think that they're shooting all the um, people from the bar but as they come into the light, they realize that they're more zombies, right? And I like this part. Kaler, you know, he can't take them out. So he shoots one of them through the skull and the skull falls out. And he's like, I'd say I just got enough guns for you hombres now. And then it gets up headless and keeps shooting at him. And he's like, well, more what you'd expect. That this would be easy. <laughs> and as he's packing his gun, so he can't even, um, even if he shoots their head off, they still come up and try and get him. Over with Gray, he's bleeding out, and Eris comes over, and she's still holding that lightning over him. Why? You had your own troubles. Why come here after me? Why? And Gray, he just calls her a witch. You don't know me, she says. We've not so much as shared a word, but I am thankful for the gift you've brought to me. One more Christian soul I can barter with. And she strikes Gray with the lightning, and so she takes his soul 
and I like this transition as he kind of like goes into this afterworld, right? The land of the dead. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is a scene that we just saw where he was watching all this happen. Blessed Lord, it's so beautiful. Like Eden itself, he says. And yeah, these colors and pencils are just really great. They're fantastic. They are. What fantastic. else can I say? Right. I like. They're I like gorgeous. how he just drops the gun and walks walks the fuck off. He's right, like, "Fuck, yeah. I love this place." Yeah. Yeah. He just immediately drops. I mean, his wouldn't weapon. you? I'd be like, "No, this is pretty good." Yeah, I would. Yeah. And he's like washing his face in the stream, and then he looks over and he sees that guy that was running alongside the buck, and this old woman behind him is like about to stab They're him. They're both very calm. Yeah, they're both very calm, but yeah. Gray's like, what the shit? Yeah. Back with Kaler, he's still fighting all the zombies. And then and, uh, Eris and, comes up. And yeah. She's like flying with the lightning still. It's like a very, it's like the lightning power is helping her fly. Right. I, guess, I don't know. And Kaler even says, well, you know, you're flying now. Hell of a trick. Could have used you and your zombie platoon back at Antietam. And the Battle of Antietam, also known as the Battle of Sharpsburg, particularly in the southern United States, was a battle of the American Civil War, fought on September 17, 1862, between Confederate General Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia and Union General George B. McClellan's Army of the Potomac. It's yeah. also known as the bloodiest battle in the Civil War. Right. And yeah. so I wonder if Kaler, he fought there, right, obviously, or he, he mentions that. Yeah. I always thought that was Gettysburg. Is that just a more famous battle? It's the most famous, but Antietam is the bloodiest. Antietam is the worst. Yeah. Jeez. And so Eris here, she refers to that she's getting stronger. And she says, but if she shoots Kaler, there's no currency in him. In the soul of a heathen, believers among the living, that's what has value for me. So he's not... A believer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He believes that all this other stuff is going on and he, because he's seen it. And she says, and you will believe. And she pulls that blanket over her. Back with Gray, you know, he's trying to stop the old woman from killing the, the man. But we realize that it's Wavea. She's trying to send him back to the land of the yeah. dead, right? He wants to go back. Right. But Gray's kind of misunderstanding the situation. And he says something interesting that I find interesting says this isn't the place for that you have to know that think yeah. about it so that's you know yeah we don't do that here right you know, kind of a thing and so uh but then uh the guy was like yeah she couldn't do it but you totally can right and that's just interesting this this whole thing this whole thing feels like a a weird dream right and it's like horrific the way that um you know that he's he keeps saying oh that's why you're here it's the only way to save yourself you know it can It'll all be made clear. And he's like, I don't want to be saved, you know. Right. Hold, hold on a second. He's like, no, it's too late. He's like, no, but I want to stay here. Don't ask me to do it. And it's just not in his control and his hand is shaking. Right. And all of a sudden there's a gun there and he shoots him. Yeah. It's just very fucked up. It's very scary. I kind of got a little chill. Well, yeah. you know, because Kaipa, the ancient, he didn't want to get pulled back. Yeah. And now, but he's doing the same thing to Ed Gray, too, because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to get pulled back either. Yeah. That's really interesting. And so as we come back into the real world, we see that Gray is alive. And he shot the ancient, right? Kaipa the ancient. He's he's slumped over. And so I guess by killing him, all the zombies also kind of um, lost their power too. Well, right? and also, you know, um, Eris is like, oh, wait, what the fuck's going on? And then um, Kurt Russell looks up, he notices all the souls have right. been freed. He sees That them. she had imprisoned. So then her shawl or whatever, the blanket, it starts kind of coming apart. All the threads start unraveling. I like that effect too. Mm-hmm. And she starts kind of twisting around. The little dog is like, I'm the fuck out of here, right? The, yeah. <laughs> and over in the sky, right, in the storm, we see this giant buffalo god thing. And it swings his hand. 
and I thought this was interesting. The shadow of its hand goes over her, and then she starts like twisting and cracking and all this kind of stuff. She's got bonitis. Yeah, (laughs) and before Kayla's eyes, she turns into this twisted tree. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was really cool, really interesting. I like how he covers his eyes. Yeah. He doesn't he's like, I don't want to see this shit. Yeah. So back with Kaylor and Gray, they're trying to figure out what happened, right? So you're talking straight up trading like horses, Kaylor says. Not exactly. Eris used Christian souls to replace energy she pillaged from the Paiute land of the dead. Some of that energy was the spirit of Kaipa the shaman, which she trapped in the preacher's body. The rest was raw power which Eris had woven into a shawl. It gave her godlike ability. Christian souls set free by Kaipa when he returned to the land of the dead, right? So those were that's where she was getting all her power from. And that's what Kurt Russell saw going up into the sky. Right. Well, then everybody ended up looking up and seeing all of right. this. And so. and so they're talking about now that old woman, the Paiute old woman, she'll explain what happened to everybody else. And Kaylor's like, got any theories on how you ain't dead? And Edward just reaches down and... And touches that bracelet, bracelet that Isaac gave him, right? Don't worry about it, son. I told you. He disappears now and again for weeks. Sometimes don't mean a thing. So Ed Gray's getting ready to leave here, but he wanted to say bye to Isaac, right? right? So the stagecoach is coming up. You wondered what sort of guests you'd make in London. I'm quite motivated to unlock that mystery myself, Gray says. And so he's inviting Kaylor to come to London. Oh, that's going to be the the episode where he goes to London right. later on. Yeah. Next he's season. like, thanks, but I guess I just don't see it, Kaylor says. So maybe we don't get that episode. And then Isaac shows up, right? And Gray's pretty happy to see him. Thank you, Isaac. Thank you so much. I swear you know things, don't you? And Isaac goes, uh-huh, lots. <laughs> is, is he like, what connection does he have to this godlike creature yeah that yeah because he was wearing the this thing that was what he was dressed up was that just like i mean why would he have that is that maybe some sort of ceremonial garb right and maybe like the action of him giving the bracelet to edward gray protected him somehow right and he could hear them doing the ceremonial dance also and they couldn't hear it is he the guy tied into something he's that guy that is so cool Mm, yeah interesting because there's all these little lines that are kind of throwaway lines like, oh, uh, he, he's full of surprises. So it's like, oh, he's full of surprises. Look, he showed up. Yeah. He's full of surprises. He is a, a buffalo, buffalo god. god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. He's definitely got a connection to it. Sir Edward Gray returned to London to follow a report on the death of Adam Glaren, a report that received very little notice from the Crown. Once back in London, Gray's colleagues noticed a change in him. Still a devout Christian, he became more inquisitive in spiritual matters of any nature. Most assumed this practice was undertaken to aid his investigations for Her Majesty, but some letters note a more personal transformation in the man. Gray never traveled to Utah again. And we see the stone dog howling. I, th- I, think, that's the a, end. I think that's a really interesting addition to our Edward Gray. He grew. Yeah. A lot. Yeah. And so we know de- definitively that Kurt Russell's character here. Helped out. <laughs> uh, well, it was not Christian. Yeah. But was not specifically anything else. Was just kind of respected what he knew about the people where he lived. And kind of knew about all these. He knew about Christianity. He knew about these indigenous people's, you know, faith. And he knew about all this other stuff. And so he kind of just took it in stride. And I think Edward Gray sort of took a page out of that book and... Like, oh, I'm still a Christian, but also I'm going to give more 
credence and respect to what other because that whole thing about yeah well maybe not where you're from maybe not from your point of view maybe you don't see it that way but from my point of view i see it this way and that's what my reality is like and so yeah it would help you in your investigations but it would also help you lead a better life in general and i think that that's sort of the once you see it you can't unsee it once you've experienced it you can't go back and that's bound to change you when a giant buffalo god yeah protects you from <laughs> death and i mean you really went through that you really saw all that and so he was in someone else's quote unquote eden he was in someone else's right. well, he's, spirit world he's seen yeah exactly he's seen and that. so he's yeah. he's not dead because of this and so that's something that of course he's gonna have to you know change his mind about that it's kind of like you can't not which yeah. I thought, but I, I like that they wrap that up uh, in that way. Anyway, I really like that. And when I first read this story, like a long time ago, I don't think that I really got it. Mm. I was just kind of like, oh, okay, now on to the next thing. Like you just like it's a monster movie. You just yeah. uh, binge all this stuff, and sure. you know, okay, I read those issues. What can I read next? And it's like, <laughs> but this time, really sitting down and reading it, I feel like I got more out of it. I really enjoyed it a lot more too. And I might not have gotten half as much out of it if I hadn't sat down with y'all. And that's what I like about the book club is that this forces us to take a really close look at everything that's going on. Oh, totally agree. Um, I'll be honest, when I read this, I was just like, okay, that was the story. (laughs) But talking about it with you guys... And I feel like there was something else. Uh, there was a story like months back. Like I remember reading, and I was thinking, Meh. and then when we talked about it with you guys, yeah. it was just like, oh, oh yeah. yeah, well, exactly. And yeah. that's that's why this book club is so great. And that's you know <laughs> when people write in, other members of the book club write in, and tell us their perspective. I'm like, oh, I hadn't even thought of that. You know, that's yeah. that makes it so much more enjoyable having oh, everyone's yeah. different perspective and. Just like in the story, everyone's perspective helps yeah. you make a whole picture. <laughs> yes. And so there's a great afterword by John Arcudi um, where they basically talk about coming together. He wanted to, just like Daniel said. Oh, yeah, said, that's the thing. Yeah. He wanted to write a Western story. And then when Mignola was looking for this Ed Gray thing, he talked about how his process is really slow when he found out that they were going to have the legendary John Severin. And they wanted him to do this Ed Gray story. He was like, sure. Holy shit, that'll speed up anybody's process. Right. Like, now you're really motivated. Yeah. You know the artist that's going to do it. And you're like, oh, man, I got to make it good then at this point. Yeah. And we also get in the sketchbook, there's some awesome sketches by John Severin. And we also get Mignola designed Kurt Russell, Morgan Kaler. Yes. And he also designed that Buffalo God that we see at the end. We have Mignola sketches of that, too. See, this is this is such a... Keanu look right here, but then this is a very Christian Bale. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. So like you get kind of shades of Christian Bale, hints of that here, and then you kind of more of a, we're I don't look, know. We're looking at the first page of the yeah, sketchbook anyway, sorry. I, um, uh, from John Severin drawing Ed Gray. I and, think it would have had to have been a British actor. Yeah. I don't think you can do that with an American oh. actor. You have to get a British actor. Definitely, anyway. Definitely British. He really does look like Kurt Russell, though. <laughs> Next thing we're going to talk about is Beware the Ape. This is a short story that appeared in Dark Horse Presents number 36 in May of 2014. Written by Mignola, pencils by Ben Stenbeck, colors by Dave Stewart, and letters by Clem Robbins. I love Stenbeck's art. I really yeah, like it. Yeah, we last oh, yeah. saw his art on In the Service of Angels. It's real good. And, and I, I uh, like how on the cover we already know this is going to have... A weird monkey, but it's also got all this Lovecraftian, yeah, the statue, yeah, the Cthulhu statue, and the tentacles, and the, you know, anyway, so... We open in London, 1880, and so this is the same year that Lost and Gone Forever happened. So I'm thinking this is when he went back to London after the events of the story we just read. And Edward goes to the room 
of Mr. Bagsby. And yes, like you, and he answers the door, yeah. I like how you, earlier, before we started recording, you were saying, this guy really reminds me of a Venture Brothers character. And I was like, Colonel Gentleman? You were yeah. like, yes. Yes, he reminds <laughs> so me of Colonel that's Gentleman. All I can hear in my is is the Colonel Gentleman voice is uh, like, oh, yes, the Queen's new boy for spooks. Like, it's a very... <laughs> And by and by spooks we mean like ghosts, right? It's, yeah, it's a ghost word. It's a word about ghosts. It's not about anything else, right? So. Yes. And so Bagsby is like, "You're late if you want breakfast, but I can ring for down You're for more tea." You're late if you want breakfast. I can ring you down some more tea. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> it's the worst Sean Connery impression of all time. That's his voice. Just someone who just does the worst Sean Connery impression. <laughs> That's all I hear. I love it. And Gray's like, "No, it's regarding your incident at the club." And he's like, what? What incident? And he's like, the incident with the Professor Werner at your club last night. But Bagsby doesn't know what he's talking about. I really like his uh, comb over. <laughs> I know. It's, yeah. right. it's super good. Anyway, no, there's, so there was an incident at the club. And uh, he was like, oh, isn't isn't Werner in Egypt? Or he's in some right. other terrible place. Like some god awful place is what he says, which is, yeah. Very, yeah. <laughs> I love this guy. He's horrible. And Gray's like, sir, I believe you know he's not. And he's like, do I? And it pans over to this monkey. Right? There's a monkey eating something in the window. Gray says he's been in London for a week now from his dig in Bolivia. And he was in your club last night showing off several objects he discovered there. Guy's like, no, I don't think so. He's like, I don't think he was there. And he's like, several people saw you beat him very severely with your cane and then run out with one of the objects. And he's like, I'm sure you're mistaken. (laughs) Is that not your cane with what appears to be blood on it? And so he points right over to it and there it is. Pretty good detective work here. And Bagsby's just like, well, I... And that hideous thing, not Professor Warner's stolen object, just as he described it. And it's the fucking statue, man. Yeah, it looks just like the Call of Cthulhu statue. So if you've ever read Call of Cthulhu... Um, they find a little statue like that of Cthulhu, yeah. right? And Bagsby just becomes more like bewildered. Yeah. He's like, "That's where did that?" His face it does such a good job with his face, right? Yeah. And then he's like, "Sir Edward, it wasn't me. It was the ape." <laughs> <laughs> and Gray just turns over. He looks at the monkey, and it just growls at him. It has these green oh, eyes. Man. And we get this awesome shot. We're like going into the monkey's head or whatever. I like how Gray's just like, oh, as he sees this crazy <laughs> like, oh, with shit. glowing green eyes. But we see the monkey, like, it found, like, a full-size statue of yeah. this, like, in the jungle somewhere. With all the eyes are, yeah. like, some precious stone. And-, and it looks into all those stones, and it, like, becomes possessed. We see it speaking that, like, frog it's language like an and stuff. Hen yeah. or something. And so the ape is, yeah, like you said, he's, like, speaking this fucking... But all that kind of just takes place in an instant, and then back in the real time, it jumps at Gray, and so it jumps at him, and he just hits it with the cane. I love He's... the tracer that the, his glowing eyes make. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's a great yeah. detail, and he just goes crashing out the window, and so they go out after it, right? Gray comes running out. He's got his gun, and they're like, steady on you, and the, <laughs> the monkey just jumps on this horse. And it bites the horse. And so the horse starts going crazy. It has green eyes, too. And in case you didn't realize, we are in London. Right. Because everyone's saying, hey, what? <laughs> Bloody hell. Yes. Like, it's, everyone's being as British as possible. But yeah, I like uh, like you said, where he, he, he bites the horse, and now the horse has green eyes, and it's all fucked up and weird. That is such a fucking cool yeah. idea of this, this yeah. thing as a virus. Right. Almost. And Stenbeck has some awesome work here as all these like tentacles burst out of this horse. Oh, it's horrible. It's just really Ugh. messed up. And there's just like E sound. Like, yeah. Makes me think like some weird, I don't know, um, 
high-pitched squealing sound or something. And so Gray just shoots at it, right? He just shoots at all the tentacles. Um, It's really awesome. And then later, this is the guy. I think this is the sheriff. Right. I think we saw him in in the service of angels. Well, I don't know if he would be called. Do they have sheriffs? Oh, yeah. But I think he's like one of the head of the officers or whatever. of the police. Yeah, the police captain or something. Oh, yeah. Captain, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) He's just like, monkey you saw? Ape, Gray says. And he's just got all this green goop all over him. That it may be, but I don't think it will satisfy the great unwashed. Do you, Gray? No, of he's course He's talking about the don't. general public. Yeah, the great unwashed. I looked that phrase. up, right? Yeah. yeah, so he's saying, like, people aren't going to believe that yeah, a monkey gonna buy did this. It. You know, we got to, for the, the unwashed masses, right. horrible. No, I think we'll put it on the scientists. I have a couple in mind. Radical ideas, bad sorts, pinning on them, and good riddance. Meanwhile, I trust you'll run this beast into the ground. So that's really messed up, right? Yeah. They're just going to, like, use it on I... some scientists that they don't like. Jeez. Like, maybe that kind of ran away with my imagination, like, thinking about science that maybe the crown doesn't agree with or that well, yeah. religion doesn't agree with or Using something. Using his political enemies, yeah. he's falsely imprisoning his political enemies, Yeah, I guess, sure. which is happening. So yeah. that's interesting. Mm. Unless they really are doing some fucked up shit. Like, because he says here, radical ideas, bad sorts, which as we know... The fucking Nazis did all kinds of horrible, so maybe, quote unquote, maybe scientific stuff. So it's not really science; taken. it's just okay. torturing. Yeah. So maybe it's like these people are torturing people, and he's like, "Oh, here's sure. a way okay. we can, okay. even if it is false imprisonment, get rid of these fuckers." Let's, Which I do agree. I think that I would be cool with that. I guess. Yeah, let's, on a, I don't know. Yeah, let's. I like that interpretation so, better. I don't know. Maybe. And I just want to point out all these little buildings have names on them, and one of them says Hammett and Crumpet. Hammett and Crumpet, <laughs> like the that. most British thing of all time. Anyway. But so he tells Gray that uh, I trust you'll run this beast into the ground. And Gray says, I'll do my best. Gray, however, failed to capture the ape. It escaped to France where it murdered a rich widow and was hanged. The end. I think that's like the best ending. He's all like, nope, didn't catch it. He went to France, yeah, killed a widow, and then so they hung weird. it. Some already else caught the monkey. Ape. Yeah, so I wonder if maybe we'll see a, an Easter egg to that later. Anyway, I really love these gray stories, and I love uh, getting Stenbeck's artwork back for this last little story. Awesome, awesome. This was a great episode. I love going back in time to see these stories, and we'll be going back in time a little bit more over the next couple weeks. And um, I'm really excited to hear people's feedback. Happy Hellboy Day, everybody. Oh, yeah, happy, happy Hellboy happy Day. Hellboy Day. I love seeing everybody's collections online and everybody posting all the cool things. A lot of people got to meet Mignola yeah. and Duncan Fagredo and Lawrence Campbell and um, who else so was out cool. there? Um, Omin was out there oh, doing what? stuff. And yeah, awesome. there was awesome. a lot of really cool artists out there. So Jeez, yeah, I'm glad wow. to see all the pictures and everybody keep participating in making this community great and go buy your Hellboy Heck tickets. Yeah. We just bought our tickets. Yes, we got our, our tickets. Our tickets are bought for Thursday night, the 11th. We're going to see it. We'll see it the day before it actually comes out. So oh. yeah, that's going to be exciting. I also liked in the reprint issue, like that one page in the back that had all those different signatures. Yeah, that, was, that was like really, really nice cool. too. Awesome, everybody. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Now, Aubrey's going to say all the things. All right, everybody. Share us your thoughts on Witchfinder, Lost and Gone Forever, and Beware the Ape. You can send us your feedback at hellboybookclub at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. And you can find the Discord link on our Facebook page. And be sure to check out our friends at Mignolaverse.com. They've been doing some great stuff, so I'm pretty sure you'll enjoy it when you go over there. Thank you to Paul from Gardahan for the lovely theme. 
Podbean. We love it every time we hear it. Super good. You can find the podcast on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., wherever you find your podcasts from. Next week, we are going to be talking about BPRD, the 1940 stories, and what shall I find there, Bishop Olick Devil, and BPRD 1946. So, you know what to do. Pull out your back issues, get your library editions, grab a time machine, because we're going back in time, (laughs) and join us next week on the Hellboy Book Club Podcast. Thanks a lot, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Aubrey Loveless saying, didn't I say it? More than one way to kill a dead man. (laughs) (laughs) 